You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Illustrated Fan. I'm your host, Nathan Barnable. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave Becker. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, how long has it been? It's It's been a while. <laughs> it's, it's probably been about half a year. I think, I think, so. I think episode... it was the summer. I think it was in the summer, the last. Yeah. And we had we had Chris, my co-worker. Yeah, we talked Disney movies, our favorite. We talked, we talked uh, uh, and, and we did Miyazaki, and then we then we talked Disney movies. And uh, since that time, uh, Chris has uh, has uh, has moved, is is now living in Minnesota. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> glad though that we were able to get another episode before before Chris himself yes. had made a movie because I'd feel bad about that. Yes, <laughs> that the next time we review something is when he had actually. He had made a movie, but yeah, it's, right. it's been a bit, but I think we, you know, there are a lot of different things going on over the summer. My schedule with young kids, it's like every time they get a year older, something new, they're at that age where something new yeah. gets piled on. So scouts is the I, big thing. I like remember really. taking my, taking my kids to scouts, taking my, my, my one son to karate, taking them yeah. to little league all over. You just become family. an Uber basically, but no one exactly, pays you. Yeah. You pay them. <laughs> and yeah, so. Oh, that's that's kind of what's happening, but still we got a lot of stuff out, and I'm looking forward to getting this back on a regular track. And a nice yeah. thing I like about Illustrated Fan is we were always able to keep these episodes down. There were never, I don't think there were many three hour Illustrated Fan episodes. No, I don't think so. But we're looking we're looking forward to getting everything started back up. And we actually had an episode that we were planning. We're, we're going to do it next, but we did want to stop and do a Christmas episode because we actually, yes. I don't think we this actually one's a little have. bit more, this one's a little more lighthearted. I think we could call the next episode, you know, movies to slit your wrist by. <laughs> I think you said, yeah, animated films to open a vein by or something right. like that. But <laughs> we do have a, a guest who's going to join us for this episode and the next episode. And originally, and I feel kind of bad at maybe like psychological abuse that I've that when I invited her on, it was for an episode of of extremely sad movies. Yes, I but, think, uh, and then this, I thought this is a warm I was, up. This, these yeah, I thought like I was fixing it by inviting yeah. her out to some cheerful Christmas movies, but we'll get into how that backfired <laughs> on me too. But anyway, without any further ado, I do want to bring in Karen Wagner. Karen has been on Phantom Galaxy a few times, and one of the last times that she came on was we did our Christmas episode yes. last year, the infamous Christmas episode Beaters where we all watched two. Beaters 2. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Karen will be back. In fact, after this episode, you will hear her again on our Christmas episode. We're bringing Brian Scott back, and we're going to be reviewing a bunch of new Christmas movies and, uh, and yes, some Tubi movies. But we also we are going <laughs> to uh, specifically run ourselves through the grinder again and watch Feeders 3, <laughs> only because – our luck would be Bill picks a movie from like 1998 and then that movie's creators release a sequel. 
Yeah. This year? That's something. <laughs> I mean, how can it's, you not review it? We can it we can blame we can 2022 after being dormant since 98. I, I think I we can blame you. Bill. I think for all those years nobody watched Feeders 2 until Bill found it. And suddenly they noticed the Amazon <laughs> And suddenly like, they're like, "Whoa, like we got all these downloads the here. Rating. We got to make a sequel." Right, and they made it that same weekend. It probably <laughs> well, Yeah, exactly. They go, "You know what? We still got the camera in the garage. Um, let's Here's just go the down the street. Puppet. And, put the, yeah. put a new sock on it. Let's go." If 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 every every five minutes we'll show someone's ass and put a fart sound in, and we got a movie. But you know, no, not not in feeders. You don't put the fart sound in. You let them do it naturally. <laughs> oh, there you go. It's it's uh, incidental. It's uh, ambient that way. But yes, so all that to say, we will have a Christmas episode coming up. But tonight, we uh, it's, it's going to be fun. We have Karen on. We're going to talk about we have a more general conversation. We didn't each pick any particular episodes, but we're going to talk about animated Christmas specials. Uh, which are near and dear to my heart. I think growing up in the 80s and that 70s yeah. was that kind of perfect time because all of the ones from the 60s, the classic ones, were still playing. But then the 80s was when you got into that point where like, oh, wait, all these shows that we're making to sell toys can have Christmas specials too. So yes, next right. to Rudolph, you get to watch the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special. And then the, the, the Fat Albert Christmas special Albert. and all that yeah, stuff. We, yeah. we may not talk too much about the Fat Albert Christmas no, special. No, no, no. I think, I think that's opening up a can of worms that, that's yeah, like yeah. a real mess. Yeah. Indeed. But before we do that, before we get into our discussion... And a new rule is that when we get to our general discussion about something, I'm putting the timer to one hour. There you go. Okay. And then when it's done, it's done. And we've talked about what we're going to talk about. There you about. go. If, even if we just talked about the very first one. Over That's right. Hour. Even <laughs> if it was just uh, 15 minutes about uh, Yukon Cornelius. But <laughs> anyway, but before we did that, I did want to take some time to review a brand new movie, animated film, that came on uh, Netflix just this past weekend, which is... Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and I uh, thought it would be a really great uh, opportunity to review that in the time that's passed since we've done our last episode. Uh, I got to say, Netflix has been great about getting, um, uh, about putting on like solid animated films on on the on their streaming service. For a few I mean, years, they had that one with uh, the severed hand. Yes, yes. My, where's ago, my body or my body? Yes, something about my body. Really good. I think that was nominated for Best Animated Feature that yeah. year. And if you remember, Dave, in the last episode we did, before we reviewed the, the Disney films, with with uh, Chris, we reviewed a movie called The House that was yes. on Netflix. Which was, was a stop well. motion animated film. And since then, they, over the summer, they released a great film. It wasn't stop motion, but it had that same ambiance and feel to it. It was called The Sea Beast, uh, which is a great movie. It has almost a... It's almost a vibe of like how the Trainer Dragon meets uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and oh, wow. uh, really felt like the kind of movie that that someone like Harryhausen would have made back in the day, but with more story and characters and things, uh, was fantastic. And then uh, the um, Cartoon Saloon, the, the the Irish company that did uh, uh, Wolf Walkers and The Secret of Kells and. Uh, mm. um, a Song of the Sea. They have one, My Father's Dragon, that's on there right now. That's phenomenal. So wow. honestly, three of the best, not even counting this film, three of the best animated movies of the year were on Netflix. That's really cool. And yet, and yet, the Oscars are going to probably pick what, what, what are, you know what the newest Pixar and the newest Disney and all that for the for. But they don't seem to understand animation at the Oscars for some reason. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I, they I, I they do. look at it as a kids' medium, like. Totally, and that's all they do. 
Yes, yeah. But here and we. So, I'm opening up. I'm opening up. Some, we we don't have to discuss that now. Maybe we can do an episode. You're right, though. I think it's going to be harder for them to ignore it in a year like this year, where there are so many strong films, yeah. animated films. Because in addition to those movies, uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On came out this year. That was mm-hmm. a fantastic little stop motion movie. Uh, I there was A24's like first foray into uh, filmmaking for families. You know. Yeah, um, I guess Hereditary's filmmaking for families, depending on who your family is. But, <laughs> right, you know, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Marcel Lachelle with Shoes On was a wonderful little movie. And I'm not slagging on Disney or, or Pixar, but I, I think no. the tide is turning a bit because Disney's big movie this year, uh, or at least this past winter, was Strange Worlds, which I truthfully I haven't seen. But it was not a hit, and, no, and it, it wasn't did, a movie that garnered a lot of uh, attention. But it's I, almost I think like that, Treasure Planet when Treasure Planet yeah, came out. Yeah, which is just kind of a shame because some of these movies they're not being judged on what kind of a movie they are. Yeah, they're being judged on their performance and what is probably poor marketing. And it's hard; it's harder to sell to kids a space opera. I think. Yeah. I think Disney's learned that twice now. Right. Yeah. But anyway, uh, with Pinocchio, it interested me for a lot of reasons. One of them being that del toro was actively involved in this and then eventually comes in and becomes the director for the movie and then the hero stop motion i mean he's had his name attached to other uh family friendly movies over the years he was a producer on um puss in boots i believe and so he's he's had his he's dabbled with some of that uh, but i was never entirely certain well what would a, a guillermo del toro directed fantasy or animated film look like and turns out it doesn't look that different from a lot of his other work right exactly but um i'm gonna what we're gonna do here now for the review is give a basic setup and with and with since it's being pinocchio i'm gonna keep it as close to what the general outline that you know about pinocchio and then we'll do a spoiler free review where we talk about our reactions and and some of that's gonna you know you're gonna if you don't want to hear anything at all my recommendation would be go see the film uh if you have very young kids, you may want to watch it first yourself. I'm not saying it's not a movie for kids, but I think this is a good movie to uh, when you know your kids to watch this and get a feel for how they'll respond. I think mm-hmm. that's the best thing to say about it. Uh, I'm not a fan of telling anybody not to, to watch something with a specific audience unless it's very clear and obvious. I think in this case, it's best to know your kids and and, and, and uh know what they can handle but it is it's not your average pinocchio i'll say that but it is still based off of the character that was from the adventures of pinocchio the 1883 book by carlo Caludi. uh and in fact in a lot of ways i think the essence of that book is translated maybe a little more faithfully into this film even though a lot of the elements of what del toro does with this movie are uh, modernizing, when I say modernizing it, it's just modernizing it to maybe the 19, uh, you know, night between 1920s and 1930s, as opposed to the late 1800s. But uh, in essence, he takes a lot of the themes we've seen in his other work and builds them into this movie and places Pinocchio sort of outside of a more traditional fantasy setting and places him in a historical context uh, and, and Geppetto and many of the characters are familiar with, but we see this very differently. So, it is stop motion. It's a very uh, it's a stop motion that reminds me of the work that Leica Studios does. Uh, what's what's notable here is that uh, on the last episode I mentioned the Pinocchio, the 1940s Disney film, is my favorite Disney movie, one of my all time favorite animated mm. films. That was a creepy experience too as a young yeah, kid. Yeah, it, it really was. But yeah. my, my my son was scared to death with the, the donkeys. 
Oh yeah, the donkey scene's terrifying. You know that yeah. and 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 the 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 story of Pinocchio without getting into it deeply, the, the just the genesis of the the actual story, you know, he's carved out of wood, he's and, and by this woodcutter who longs to have a son and then he's brought to life by the blue fairy, but he's sort of given this mandate that if you do all of these things, if you obey your parents, if you listen and you do what's asked of you and you follow the right way, then you will eventually become a real boy. You can achieve this. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not there yet, right? Then until you learn to obey and listen, you aren't a, a complete person. <laughs> and obedience will get you there, and disobedience will turn you into an ass. <laughs> and that's kind of how that story goes. And it really doesn't deviate between, a, a, apart from that, right? In terms of the themes, uh, we see Pinocchio go through all kinds of scenarios and eventually at one point he ends up in the belly of a whale i think in the original uh text it's it's referenced more like a dogfish which is you know i think more of an italian thing that you know that might be more relatable than a giant whale but of course disney makes monstro which is a great big like sperm whale and he he swallows up pinocchio and geppetto and they're inside of his stomach but the story kept that fable fantasy set uh the big things that disney did of course was introduce jiminy cricket with the cricket was in the original story but he's a little bit softer and he's a little bit more fun and he has songs you know that he sings and uh but still the same pinocchio always really captured my imagination but it also kind of freaked me out a little bit so here comes guillermo del toro uh who is known for movies like pan's labyrinth and the devil's backbone and hellboy and blade 2 and more recently the shape of water you know he's not a uh, he's not a guy that's really known for a lot of cuddly, <laughs> cuddly films. Even right. when he makes movies about childhood, they come out like Kronos. Like oh, God. Pan, Pan's Labyrinth, the most right. frightening parts of that movie are the, the, the real life. Yes, yes. I think that's even more frightening than the fantasy uh, sequences. And, there's, and the fantasy sequences are creepy. Some I mean, yeah, right. But you're right. And I think he always keeps that element where it is – it's it's the real world, the human world, that the fantasy, even with all of its perils and dangers, is always like an escape to yes. some degree. And so yes. in some ways, that opens up the world of Pinocchio. It was sort of perfect for that. And I think for years, another movie that Del Toro was often attached to was Frankenstein. And I think what's interesting here is that Del Toro is sort of like he's crossing the streams a little bit. He's he's he's. He's making the clear um, parallels between Pinocchio and Frankenstein in some ways. Right. But before we go too deeply into that, I'm going to open it up. I want to hear what you guys thought first about the film. It came out. I watched it with my family last Friday night. And I got to say that I think that that's going to be one of those memorable movie experiences, at least for my kids, that goes down in the books. You know, nice. you know when we, we say, look back and say, that movie messed me up. Yeah. <laughs> my kids are going to be able to say that, too. <laughs> Oh my! Yeah, that well, that's that's actually better than mine. My, what messed my kids up was seeing the end of Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that messed us all up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't. We're not quite there yet, but um, yeah. So let's go ahead, I, I, Karen. I'm going to turn it over to you first uh, to, to find out what you thought about Pinocchio. But just your again, we're going to keep it spoiler free here. But just your impressions and your overall thoughts. So I I don't know what I expected before I started watching it. Um, I think I, I sent you a message, uh, Nathan, asking if this was for kids because it's so, it has something really sad and kind of creepy happens in the beginning. Um, and I, 
I, it, the whole movie, it's kind of dark and creepy, but it's still got some funny parts and it's just absolutely beautiful. Like I, there were scenes like where the wood sprite uh, appears. My whole room was glowing blue uh, from the, her eyes on the TV screen. Like it's just, it makes me want to buy a 4k TV and have them release this in 4k so I can see it that way. Like I just was blown away, especially after watching, rewatching some of those Christmas specials, (laughs) the stop motion in there and then seeing this. (laughs) It's like, I couldn't believe it wasn't just an animated movie. Like, and I definitely recommend the little behind the scenes thing that they have on Netflix that um, was great. after yeah. you watch the movie, because it does spoil uh, some of it. But when they show all the stuff that they did, like the attention to detail inside the church, like they built it in layers. So it would really look like a church that was built in the 1500s and then changed in the 1800s. And then now, like, I just, I, I loved the movie. I thought it was beautiful. I cried at least two times (laughs) during the movie. Um, But yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I loved it. And if I hadn't known that Guillermo del Toro did this movie after you watched it, there would be no question. He's, he's one of those auteurs where you can, you can, you can tell when it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yes, definitely. You know, he's, he's got that touch. He's got that sort of, uh, he, he has an imprint on a film. Um, almost like, you know, Tim Burton, where Tim Burton has an imprint on a film. Yes. I think Guillermo del Toro has that as well, uh, which is really cool. Um, yeah, I, I loved it too. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was beautiful. I, I, I liked, it's funny when, when the, I didn't realize that I don't know the original story. I just know like the Disney version of this. Now on the big screen, I did pay to see, um, Roberto Benini's Oh no. Pinocchio? Oh yes. Oh no is right. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> I, I, is an atrocity. That. I took my kids to see that abortion. <laughs> oh. It is it is creepy in all the bad ways. In okay. All the wrong ways. In all the wrong ways. Yes. It's it's just brutally the, awful. That Benini decided to follow up Life is Beautiful with that movie is inexplicable. It it d- doesn't make any sense to me either. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because Fellini was a big fan of Benini's. Fellini thought that Roberto Benini was like one of the most brilliant minds he'd ever seen. And Um, I mean, I I haven't seen it in years. Life is life is beautiful. When I saw it, I was I was impressed with it when I first I I was, too. I think Life is Beautiful is a good movie. I do. And it's it's a very clever movie in a lot of ways because it's an upbeat concentration camp film. How do you get how how can you know uh, who would think there'd be something like that? Right, but but it's done in a way that works. You know, it's yeah. it's not like yes. the day the clown cried kind of like Jerry. No, Lewis it's not the Jerry Lewis, Lewis the day the clown cried. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> but um, and, and it's, it's yeah, even there because there's a heartbreaking innocence to it, which I think yeah. is reasonable to point out because there's a heartbreaking innocence to this film. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, yeah, there really is, and and it's beautiful, and the the animation is like. When you get to stop motion, I mean, and it, it almost, it's almost like it's computer animated, yes. which I think is like one of the highest compliments you can give stop motion. Yet yeah, there's a texture to this film that's almost unlike anything else because 
it, it, it the computer animation is in the sense of the angles that the cameras get and right. the way the characters move and that they're moving like real people whereas we think we need a cutaway now shot right like that this the stop motion has to end here it can't keep moving and i'm sure computers have aided this film you know that well it's, we're not everything we're looking at is not 100 percent just done the way harry Housen would have had to do it right but there is so much of that this is like another level of stop motion it, I think even, it really even is. beyond is... Leica, there's a depth and a, a texture to this world and it's not just in the animation it's also i think um and i'll probably stop here in a few seconds once we get our thoughts out because we'll talk further but del toro crafts this movie in such a way that it stands almost completely on its own as a film it doesn't need to be seen as a kid's movie it doesn't necessarily want to be seen as a kid's movie right doesn't make it not for kids just means a movie it has a has something to say it really doesn't it it has no strings to hold it down (laughs) right exactly and I think that combined with the animation, it just springs to life in a way you're not expecting it. Like, I, I think, Dave, you mentioned it, and it was the first thought that came to my mind when I was watching on Friday night, is this is a film that could stand alongside a Miyazaki movie. It, it, it is, and that is like the highest compliment you can give it. You know, this this feels like it could be, it was, what did I say? It was, it was almost like Del Toro meets Miyazaki in a way. With Fellini, I think you <laughs> And I yeah. think I threw Fellini we'll in there the as well. Fellini yes, it was like Miyazaki, Fellini, and Del Toro, all three of them combined into this movie, yes. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and you're someone who hasn't seen the movie, I would say definitely like you could – you're probably thinking to yourself, well, how can Nathan and Karen and Dave possibly spoil the plot of Pinocchio? I've seen it a hundred times mm-hmm. and I know all the beats. And while those beats are there, yes, this movie can be spoiled for you because Del Toro does something kind of special and different with it to the, to the point – that his his thematic point, what he's trying to say through the film, is actually completely the the opposite of the original Pinocchio story. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does some significantly different things that change the course of the story. Yeah. It may not seem like that on the outset, but when you really think about it, you realize, oh, well, he completely deviated. He didn't just deviate that, but he turned it on its head. I think in a positive way. But I, there are lots of things that can be spoiled in the film. So if you want to see it, I say go out and see it. It is in my opinion, it's one of the best movies of the year. Now, obviously, we're doing a show called Illustrated Fan. We love animation. So I do tend to think animated films have a lot to offer. But this does go beyond being an animated film. This movie develops characters that you think you know inside and out. The little wooden boy, the, uh, you know, the, the, the nice, kindly old woodcutter that just wants a son. The, the happy, chirpy crip, cricket, you know the the patient and magnanimous blue fairy we think we know all these characters but this is the first time even even going back to the 40s so this is the first time they feel like characters and yes. not just like kind of fairy tale placeholders you know the archetypes is what they were in the classic stories mm-hmm. but here we really kind of get to know them as flawed people and uh, the movie can be scary the movie can be very emotional, but I think it earns those beats and it is not an overall sad experience. I think it is no. a life affirming element yeah. to it as well. Uh, and that's what it is about. It's about life. Um, that, that's what made me tear up more than the sad moments were, were those sort of life affirming moments that you're talking about. Yeah, this is a it movie made where me tear up in the old one. We're waiting for Pinocchio to learn his lesson. And, and in this one, Pinocchio makes choices but people are learning as much from him as anybody else in the story. 
And uh, of course, the gist is he was always a, you know, he always was a boy. Right. And I think that this movie kind of delves into that. But outside the story, this is a great work of fantasy. Uh, it, the worlds it creates are fascinating to watch. Every single character, though, has nuances to them. That yeah. Any villain, even if they remain a villain from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, there are shades to them that make them a person, you know. Yep. And I don't think you always often see that in animated pictures. It's, it's one of the best looking movies I've seen this year. Probably one of the best movie looking movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And I think, I think this is, what was it? What was Beauty and the Beast from, from the, from the early nineties from Disney. Was that like the only animated movie that was nominated for best picture? I think there have been, I, I no, no, because Toy Story three, I think was nominated. Yeah. Well. Yeah. There's been a couple of Pixar yeah, there's films been a few that have been since nominated. Then. That have been nominated. This deserves more than just best animated. This deserves a nomination for best picture. Best picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's honestly in the the top tier of movies I've seen this year. I think it's I, I'm with you 100. percent um, Absolutely. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll put our we'll put our ratings out there. And here's the thing too: if you're a fan of Del Toro, and you're like, well, I don't want to see this kids movie. I'll wait till the next dark Del Toro movie comes out. Mm. This movie and Del Toro is mentioned. He wanted this movie to have to feel thematically of a piece with the Devil's Backbone. And with Pan's Labyrinth. And I think it really does. I mean, in some ways, this could be training wheels for Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, I think it is training wheels for Pan's Labyrinth. But it is a story that is just as rich as those stories. Um, I give it a 10 out of 10, honestly, guys. I, there's nothing I, about it that I was disappointed by. I, I, I can't. But- I can't argue with you. I think I'm right there with you. I think a 10 out of 10. I, this was just an amazing movie. You know what? There's something about Del Toro that I always think of with all of his films. And it sort of hits me. It There was a, um, I don't know if you've seen it, Nathan. Uh, there was this series that Orson Welles had hosted of oh, the great yes. silent um, films. Yes. He did um, the original in the 1920s, The Thief of Baghdad with Douglas Fairbanks Sr., and he was talking at the beginning of that movie. He was he does those introductions. About how he doesn't the, like fantasy or he feels like fantasy has limitations. No, what he says, he says he doesn't really care for fantasy because he never feels as if the director's vision makes it to the yes. screen. That's what he said. I wish he lived long enough to see Guillermo del Toro. Because I think del Toro's vision always makes it to the screen. Yes, I agree. And, and I think that you've seen that progression, right? You saw the progression through. So go back to that Baghdad movie. But if you go on through and even get later when um, Alexander Corda and them, they make the, 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 that version was even I better. I really liked the 40s version of Thief of Baghdad. I did. I, thought that was, I, th- I like get... that one even a little more than the 20s version. Oh, I think it's a better. Yeah, I think that's what I mean. It's a better movie. It's yeah. visually more interesting. Then you get Harryhausen, and then you get you know eventually you get to Lucas and 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 yeah. Gilliam and, and all I'm, I don't I don't know that that Orson Welles was like I I don't agree with him with his with his no. summation because I think you could look at three filmmakers for fantasy I think you could look at what well, you said Terry Gilliam with Time Bandits and and you know going forward from there Del Toro which we're talking about and damn it Woody Allen. True. Woody Allen has made some amazing fantasy films. Though I as think far as that maybe what that that Wells is getting at, and I think you can see some of this in in Gilliam, and even with Lucas and things like that. And in Spielberg, back at the time that that Wells was alive, there was still a limitation. You can see even in the Gilliam movie the frustration of not everything spilling out. You know, with Gilliam, it yes. comes out as chaos, right? They can't yes, quite reconcile it. it. 
Yeah, and and with and with Lucas with the original Star Wars, you know, I remember Mark Hamill talking about with that cantina scene, where Lucas had all these grand ideas, and then then Luke and then Mark Hamill's like, you walk in and there's a guy who looks like a, a grasshopper, right? Now what, and there's a guy who looks, you know, it's like it's like so disappointing. <laughs> what I think is um, is interesting though, and I think is is what speaks well to people who are working now, people like Guillermo del Toro working at this point where so much is at their fingertips and they can do just about anything they want. When Phantom Menace came out, the one of the first things I said to people were like, well, what happened to Lucas? I said, I don't think you guys quite understand. Uh, maybe I'm selling the guy short, but Phantom Menace is the kind of Star Wars movie Lucas would have made the first time out if he had had everything at his fingertips. The limitations, yeah. the frustrations, the budgetary things that didn't allow him to throw a thousand different goofy monsters on screen at one time were what reined him in and forced him to be innovative. Yes, and, and absolutely, because Phantom Menace is a hot mess. It's and hot garbage yes, as far as I'm Some concerned. filmmakers get so lost, and Gilliam, Gilliam's guilty of this too. Uh, he, he, he doesn't always have enough money to use all the, the CGI, right. but Gil, I love some of his movies. Some of his movies are five-star movies. The, the Brothers Grimm is not. Uh, some of these movies, they get away from them. And Del Toro kind of, most of the time, I can't think of a Del Toro movie, even Pacific Rim, which is a giant kaiju movie, like, and, and didn't have the greatest characters in the world. But I haven't right. disliked the movie he's made yet. I haven't seen a movie where I feel he's completely lost. No, I haven't either. I, I have not heart. seen... I have not seen the Guillermo del Toro movie that I didn't at least like at to some level or love to some level. Yes. And, and, and I feel the same no, way. You know, it's no that, different. I think it's in the top pantheon of his best stuff. And let me ask you something, Nathan, would you take, uh, Gilliam's, um, uh, what was it? Uh, the, the, uh, the Don Quixote movie from a couple years ago, or would you take lost in La Mancha? Lost in La Mancha. And, 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 Me too. And to, to, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw that movie, and it's actually not a bad movie. It, it, it's got Adam – first off, a movie that's got Adam Driver and um, uh, uh, Jonathan Price in it can't oh, be yeah. that bad. No, I like the, the Man Who Killed Don Quixote. I like that movie, and I'm glad that Gilliam uh, finally got to make it. But I like Lost in La Mancha more. The and documentary the about the is, movie is he couldn't make. Gilliam is more interesting sometimes when he is frustrated or doesn't get his yes. vision fully out there. I love I love the line in that movie where they hadn't rehearsed the guys who were <laughs> like chained to each other. Yes. He's like, we're fucked. And if we're fucked, I want to know we're fucked before we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, Karen, if you get a chance to see it, anyone who's listening. So Lost in La Mancha is a is a documentary about how uh, the movie he was trying to make, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, uh, fell apart. Now, it would proceed to fall apart about six more times before – Gilliam always yeah. has that kind of weird the, – the, the insurance um, company owned his script. He had to buy it back from the insurance yeah. company. Oh it's crazy. And then he went and goes around tries to make the imaginary Dr. Parnassus, and then Heath Ledger <laughs> right. dies. And so right. that one, I think all of the actors felt bad for him. So a lot of his buddies got together and said, well, we'll be yeah, in Yeah, Colin Farrell and uh -huh. Johnny Depp and yeah. a whole bunch of people, yeah. So, which is not a bad movie. I recommend No, I like the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And, uh, I like that I, movie. Uh, and some of some uh, my daughter just watched for the first time recently time bandits and it instantly became one of her favorites and oh movie, time though, bandits i saw that on the big screen twice yeah. but i this love is that, that movie. kind of movie this pinocchio movie yeah. this is a movie that's going to make an impression uh 
my my daughter, I will put it out there. My daughter sobbed and, and, and like ugly cried in a way I've never seen before. She wow. said, "Why do Garamello del Toro movies have to be so sad?" <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but and she hasn't seen many of them. I think she's seen maybe this the, this movie and Hellboy. Um, Don't but, show her Pan's Labyrinth. Well, no. yeah, well, you know, I had I thought you know my head I. I, I I always think about my previous experience with these movies. Like, I got to remember to go back and watch this. And my and I mentioned Pan's Labyrinth one day. And my wife glared at me, and she glared at me again when Pinocchio was over. And she said, "See," I was like, "I, you get it? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got me." But this is a good movie. I think it is, uh, it's and a it's a movie, movie that is good for kids. I think of a certain age. This is not. This isn't one that you're going to want to plop your six or seven year old down in front of. I mean. My daughter's eight. She watches some horror movies, something, and she loved it. She loved the movie. She, nothing in this movie scarred her, but she got emotionally caught up in it. It's, the movie did what it's designed to do. Del Toro, and this is where I'm going to drop a, or a drop the. I'm going to say right now, spoilers. You know, we're we're going to we're not going to spoil excessively, but I think I want to open the spoiler door now and okay. just talk for a few minutes about this. Del Toro wants this movie to have an impression on you. He wants to pull the heartstrings, but he doesn't want to do it in a in a sappy, sentimental way. He wants to, to do it in a way that you're going to remember. And how many times have we seen Geppetto and, and Pinocchio be swallowed by that whale? We're going to have the moment where Pinocchio is going to have a moment of sacrifice. We're going to have right. those kids marched into that area where in the old movie they're turned into donkeys and here something different happens. Uh, yeah. But so opening that up, we've we've discussed that the film's dark, but let's talk about the characters for a minute. What did you think about the way uh, – so up front, there's the fact that Geppetto has a son who dies. Yes. You and, see that finally in this film. You see that in the movie, that he had that earlier son. And I love that they had the same young actor voice both that character and Pinocchio. Yes. And and, and this is weird. Because my kids over the summer, we watched AI, which is, of course, the Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg production that yeah. was inspired by Pinocchio. Daughter's this dad, this is like AI. Like her, it really, you know what? It, it really is in a lot of ways. It really is. And I know that Spielberg got a, took a lot of crap for the ending of AI. But the where they said, Oh, here. you did a Spielberg ending to a Kubrick film. And Spielberg's like, No, that is Stanley's ending. Yeah. And that's that's a movie where the ending is much darker than it appears to be. Like yes, it really is. About it. Um, but I and I love AI, but the thing about this movie is it kind of deals with that. Like, and it's set the thing that surprised me. And I know David surprised you. And I think Karen, it, it caught you by surprise too, that it's set in Mussolini's Italy. Yeah. Like yeah. this, love, you know, it, this book was, you mentioned this book was written in the 1880s. Yeah. This is fascist Italy. Yes. A hundred percent. This is Mussolini's Italy that where this movie is set. The world doesn't back away from that. And, and war is a major part of this, just like war was a major part of the devil's backbone. And yep. Pan's Labyrinth. And I was thinking yep. of The Devil's Backbone. I, we talked about it, Dave, on a recent episode of DVD Infatuation when we did our best, best of 2001 movies. There's that that shot that the movie opens with of the bomb being dropped into the orphanage. Yes. And what happens to that bomb is it cements itself into the ground. It never goes off. But we have a bomb get dropped in this movie <laughs> in a similar way. But it does go off. It does it go off. Detonates yes. And it's a very... light, this, this old man, this woodcarver's life just detonates it. And yes, watch. It's not afraid to shy away from 
Geppetto going to his grave year after year after year to Carlo, the little boy who passes. It doesn't shy away from the alcoholism, which surprised me. I mean, Geppetto falls down drunk before the Blue Fairy shows up. The Blue Fairy, who was basically this thing made up of all these small, like, will-o'-the-wisp emissaries that look like a Miyazaki film that come out of the woods. They did. What's that? They did. They look like those little wood sprites. The uh, The wood sprites from what spirited away? Yes. Which I still have. Karen gave me some. Karen sent me a poster, a beautiful poster of, uh, was it the Search of Tomorrow, the documentary about uh, sci-fi movies? And I'm, it's going to go right up here above my uh, my desk here soon as soon as we get it framed. But nice. she sent me the little the little guys, the little forest spirits, and they glow in the dark. And we've set them <laughs> on a plant in the house. Uh, they were very, very cool. I mean, we thank you very much for that. Thank you. But the, 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 the way that Tilda Swinton, the, her blue fairy, is the same design as the Angel of Death in Hellboy 2 with the wings and the eyes and the wings that go in front of the face, like the classic images of the seraphim. It's His designs are intermingled with things here. And so I thought that that... And then you come, you bring in this character that's voiced by Ron Perlman that... Uh, he he he's trying to like you said it's a it's almost like a Fellini movie and that the fascists of course the fascists want to send the little wooden boy to school. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave, I didn't get the you were you were originally commenting as things were happening. You were like, "Holy crap, it's it's Mussolini's Italy." I'm like, "Yeah." And then I was waiting for for what happened the first time that Pinocchio. I mean, again, this is spoilers area Pinocchio dies about like 20 yes. 30 minutes into this movie what did you think when that happened oh my god it's like devastating it really is but then were you surprised that suddenly there's a scene in the afterlife and the little rabbits and yes it looks like corpse bride oh <laughs> yes i was I loved those rabbits and I read that they were a part of the original book that there were rabbits, but I guess the wood sprite was using them to scare Pinocchio and not as little undertakers or whatever they were. I thought they, I loved their design the way you could see their ribs and stuff. That was so cool. Yeah. They were like the emissaries of the afterlife. And my daughter's confused. She's like, is this hell? So yeah, she's like, not that that dark. That picture you sent of your daughter, (laughs) like crying at the end of this movie. That's like heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I gotta say though, and I'm not about a person. I don't know if I'll leave this in or not, but I'm not a person that's like goes around sending pictures of my kids ugly crying. To people. <laughs> it <laughs> wasn't know? ugly crying. It was emotional crying. It was not there. ugly crying. Not at all. <laughs> but she, it was an interesting thing because she was crying, but she was like, oh, look, she was caught up in it. And she said to the movie, why is this so sad, dad? Like she just comments on it. And then she's, but when they trapped inside the whale and all, not the whale, it's not even a whale. It's a Leviathan. It's a giant, a big sea animal that yeah, looks right. like an island. It's like that thing from <laughs> Gilliam's Baramunchausen that eats them all. Right. And it it's a it's a classic sea monster, and they're inside of it in the snot and the in the oh, that gunk, and they're gonna fall into his stomach juices, and, and she's just about to lose it. She's like, Why? <laughs> but these but and I was affected too. Now I can't it wasn't like we were real crowded around my daughter waiting to see this little girl cry. We were all in tears, like by the time you get to the end of this movie. But again, it's not a, we're not talking about something completely devastating. It's something that's sort of life affirming. It's not a unpleasant sadness in a way. No, I guess. it's not. It's not. It really, like, you're right. It's not. And I think that's why my daughter, she enjoys horror films. She likes 
emotional use because they make her feel something. It's a real ride at the end of it. It's like, wow, I almost threw up. Um, you know, <laughs> it was something else. And I think you don't get that a lot. How many times do you no. see a movie that affects you? And but uh, one thing I want to make about the, the 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 fascism angle is very well melded into this story. It does feel uh, Mussolini shows up. Yes, he's there. <laughs> right, he does. Yeah, <laughs> you expect that. And then I love that he's you know he wants the wooden boy to do what it's supposed to do, and he's just fart 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 poop poop poop. And he can't be contained. And in the original movie, that's the problem. You're you're not being obedient. And I what I love here is this idea that you know what. Uh, it, it, this is not following the rules is not what makes you a person. You know, it's, it's your ability to love that's going to see you through. And, 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 and in order to do that, the love is going to require that we accept our, accept those we care about for who they are, the way they are. And I know that's a, maybe a typical thing, but I felt this movie did it in a powerful way in the sense that it's ultimately the Geppetto that Pinocchio doesn't need to earn to be a real boy. Uh, He's yes. not going to be a real boy in the sense that he's going to be Carlo. He's going to be who he is. And he doesn't become a real boy. Right. And Del, and, and Del Toro doesn't take that way out. It, 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 it's, it's upon Geppetto to realize that this is his son. Yep. And and in some ways, Pinocchio might be better off if he had been a real boy because he wouldn't have been still around <laughs> after everybody's gone. <laughs> but... That ending where you have even Jiminy Cricket, well, and this is uh, Sebastian. James yeah, Cricket. it's not Jiminy. Yeah, it's Sebastian, Sebastian Cricket. Cricket. Yes. Was it better? It's an improvement, I think. I th- I agree. I think and, I, and I love you, yes, McGregor. On the Disney, on the Disney version, yes, it's an improvement. Yes, but even even Sebastian and Geppetto, they are not perfect characters. They're flawed. Pinocchio is flawed. But this scene where he's sort of rebuffing Mussolini, and he's just doing it. He's a boy. You know, he doesn't want to listen. And it's the the point of the movie isn't be disobedient, but it's when do we do does following the directions make us a person only in the eyes of the people that want to control us? And I like the other character. I can't think the little boy that was the son of Ron Perlman's character, Carlos Candlewick. Candlewick, uh, thank you. Pandewick, he was yeah, voiced okay. by Finn Wolfhard, which I didn't know yes. initially from Strange <laughs> from Stranger Things, and. Wow. Uh, that was interesting because at first he's just the one note bully who's going to kind of go Pinocchio towards, you know, getting himself into trouble. And then eventually he, he's not that character anymore. He's different. And he has certain shades of, of, of character growth. And the, the relationship he has with his father is juxtaposed against the relationship that Pinocchio has with Geppetto. I just, I just want to comment upon that because I think that for people who've seen the film, I think it adds a great deal to this movie and it does make it a piece of del toro's overall filmography you know the themes that he's explored in other movies are explored here and i loved david bradley uh who most people probably would recognize as filch in the harry potter movies the the grumpy uh cantankerous um you know i I guess he's not the groundskeeper that's haggard but he's the like the uh, custodian and uh but he's a great actor. He's been a lot of things. And here he, he kind of gives you a Geppetto that's uh, yes. a little rough around the edges. You know, in the beginning, you're like, why is who's Carlos's mother? Geppetto's a little old, right? But, you know, it's <laughs> Bradley's that kind of Geppetto. You think, you know what? Maybe, 
maybe the local brothel just left this baby on his doorstep. I, I think I sent you that message, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. You said that. That's Who's what you said. Where is Carlos's mother? And I said, well, I think, I think that you know, this is one of those. Geppetto's like seventy years old when when Carlos is born. He he looks you know he looks like he's been around a bit though. You know, he's the woodcutter. So, um. But yeah, I, I love that. I don't know if you guys had anything you wanted to add in regards to the spoilers, but I, I thought that the, the fascist Italy aspect actually enhanced the film and gave it a somewhere to go without Del Toro just regurgitating the same old beats that you know. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I love that about it. I loved the fact that he didn't have to become a real boy to be real and loved by his dad that's what made yes. me cry almost yes, me more than what you know when stuff happens at the very end and i have to say um if you hadn't told me <laughs> who spazatora was i would have maybe realized it towards the end of the movie when he sort of says something the little monkey that it's kate blanchett but you would <laughs> never have known that throughout most what of that movie <laughs> That for me was the most amazing part of it that Kate Blanchett voiced the monkey who just sort of made noises throughout right. the movie. Right. And I the behind the scenes thing was talking about how after she did um what was the other movie that she did with Nightmare him? Alley. Yes, she yeah. enjoyed that so much. She was like, "I don't care what it is. I will do anything in one of your movies." And he was like, "Hey, how about you be this monkey?" <laughs> you know what? That, that seems to be a thing though. That's the thing about Del Toro. He creates these very intricate uh fantasy worlds and and not just fantasy worlds, but these films they're so intricate and so layered and yet people come back and work with him again and again. You see, yeah. you know, it's not even just his four, you know, you see some of these directors always have the four or five guys to always work with him. He's got that. But it seems like every time he works with a person, he picks up somebody that's anxious to work with him again. Yes. And I think that says something yes. about him, you know, he can get his vision out there and he doesn't he's not a guy who's compromising the people who work with him to create the vision. Agreed. Definitely. So, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's all I have to say about it. I definitely see it. If you if you get a chance, it's an amazing movie. I we had talked a little bit. This this movie needs to have a physical release. Uh, oh yes. And you know what? Netflix, screw you if you don't. That's why I want it to be a best picture nominee. Yes. Because yes. Netflix releases their best picture nominees on physical media. Oh. And, and let's face it, honestly, if this there's been a lot of great movies this year. I, I really do think so. There, there's uh, and and we'll be having our end of the year list of of general films, including the horror movies. But it's been an amazing year for movies. But honestly, yeah. I can't think of if how many you get to nominate ten or whatever. Like there are not, there's not, there are not nine better movies than this one. No, not at all. This, this should be nominated for best picture. And Netflix released this on 4K or Blu-ray, even DVD. I don't give a shit. I will pick it up. Yeah, but, but if you give it to Criterion, go for it. Yes, give it to Criterion. You already have one special feature in the bag. But by the way, that's awesome. I want to see more of that, like making this movie and then giving you a special feature of that level of quality. That that Netflix that Netflix making of yes, it enhanced this movie for me even more. So and it reminded me of the times when I when I was a kid and you're watching Star Wars or a Harry Housen movie and you get to see the technique and how it's done. That's like so important to part of the yes. enjoyment of the film. I agree 100 percent Oh, and you know what? Something we didn't even mention. This movie's a musical. I mean, it's not a yes. musical <laughs> to the level that some other movies are, 
And the songs, I mean, it's David Bradley singing. You know, it's Geppetto out of tune. I mean, I don't think he picked up the ladies by his singing abilities, but yeah, that <laughs> added some character to me. I loved the songs. Not that I they're earworms that I wanted to hum, which is maybe why I liked them, but they felt true and honest to the characters. Yes, they did. And I thought one of the funniest parts was when, because you know Ewan McGregor can sing because he's been in musicals before. Yes. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yes, he was in Moulin Rouge. And when he first starts, he's getting ready to like, make this big song. You can tell he's getting ready. And then uh, Pinocchio like slams the door on him and just squashes him <laughs> behind the door. Does and he does. Because you're so used to Jiminy Cricket doing everything in song. And here Sebastian gets ready to, to say his piece and boom. <laughs> I really liked that bit. I thought that, <laughs> I, was, I thought that was awesome. Yes. But a great surprise. I'm glad that we all watched it and reviewed it because... Uh, yeah, in a year of great anime, of a lot of great anime movies, this one's been my favorite. It's um, it's far and away the best, yeah, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. And it's it's yes. honestly in the it, it it's easily in the top tier of movies for me. So yes, Pinocchio. It's on Netflix right now. Please, Netflix. You know, whatever it has to be worked out, this does deserve a physical release, and it deserves a physical release with all the bells and whistles. I yes, and Netflix. If you don't release this on physical media. Screw you. <laughs> you can do what Halloween, what Dave told Halloween to do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> F you up the A with a 12 inch D and break it off and beat it over the head with the rest of it. That sounds like code breaking now, Dave. But anyway, <laughs> moving on because this kind of family show, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the, the, so the next part is our Christmas, our Christmas uh, episode. I just yep. thought it would be fun to get together and talk about because to me, there are lots of things I like about the holiday, about Christmas. Yep. And from when I was a kid, though, tied intrinsically to all the stuff with the snow and the presents and and the, 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 the making cookies and the big dinners and everything that comes with the holiday, wrapping presents, going to store, being excited for Christmas, built into, baked into that from the very beginning for me were those TV Christmas specials like yes janky looking stop motion with little things with their fuzz hanging off of their head or weirdo rank and bass make you want to vomit animations like Frosty <laughs> the Snowman those things go hand in hand with Christmas for me a hundred percent yes and me too me too one hundred percent and I don't really have a structure for this I just thought it'd be fun to talk about you know we'll sit here and we'll riff on this for a bit and uh but I, I and i think that might be the best way to do it because i think there's so there's so many they're more than yeah. i thought to try and go through sort of chronologically and chart well here's well the, first, well, the one. first one was rudolph the red-nosed reindeer yeah. but after that it gets it becomes a free-for-all <laughs> yeah it does after that it becomes well, a rudolph is a great place to start obviously yeah yeah rudolph is the place to start because that even happened before the uh, charlie brown christmas yes yeah And I loved Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, growing up, that was one of the animated specials that I would look forward to every single year. When the Christmas season would roll around, I wanted to see Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And let's face it, in that special, Santa is a prick. <laughs> he, he is, is a dick. Is. And it becomes more obvious. As you see these movies, uh, it's funny with some of these Christmas movies, you go back and watch them and you're like, uh, and Santa Claus himself doesn't fare very well, to be honest. No, he in doesn't. A lot he's of these a movies, prick. In a, and particularly this one, because he's 
at the end, he's like, even Santa recognized he was wrong. Well, you magnanimous, you know, bleepity bleep. What? <laughs> it took you this long, you know, to, to deal with it. But you're right. The way he is portrayed is sort of baffling because it's like if anyone should understand, you know, he's like, I'm ashamed of you for having this genetically defective son. I mean, really? <laughs> right. He's like, what? Whoa. What? What? Wait, what is this? Rudolph. He's, he has this shiny nose. What's going on here? How dare you, Donna, have this son with with this shiny nose? And even when he's sitting there with the elves and they're doing their song, and Santa goes, "Ah, eh, need some work." Oh yeah. And Mrs. Claus goes, "Don't listen to him. You're you're you, you did a good job." And because of the time frame this movie's made in, or the specials made in, it's not even like. A different movie might acknowledge he's a bit of an imperious jerk. Like a few years he's ago, he's a he's a dick. Yeah, a few years ago, Ardman <laughs> did the movie um, Arthur Christmas, which I think is a great movie, and that one is built around the idea that the various uh, versions of Santa, you know, maybe they are wrong, and maybe they aren't supposed right. to be seen in this light. But this this special doesn't quite go there. There is a moment towards him where Santa admitted he was wrong, but it doesn't really <laughs> condemn his actions. <laughs> Well, it should because he's a prick. He, he is. He's a, and it, it it stands is very glaring because basically, it's it's the opposite of what we just talked about with Pinocchio. It's like ultimately Rudolph still has to prove himself that he's not a freak, and right. he, and he's only accepted really when they realize he's a useful freak. <laughs> right. He's like, <laughs> oh my god, there's a bunch of fog, uh, Rudolph. Your nose will help us guide us through this fog. Like the Can Santa do just doesn't cut it off and stick it to the front of the front. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah, really he doesn't. Off. He, you know what? And then it's only because of that that he goes to the Island of Misfit Toys. Yes. Yeah, so I was just reading. My wife was talking about this, and I think I don't know if it was filmed or, 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 or maybe the original time that came out that the Island of Misfit Toys. They go there, they see the toys, but there's no resolution in the original for the misfit toys they don't get no there's them. not and <laughs> right so the and people were writing in and saying well what about the misfit toys Aww. they're just on that <laughs> island what are we gonna do so i guess they're like all oh, these little jerks we're gonna have to have the misfit yeah, toys it's like, find it's like santa home. goes well i guess we're gonna go pick up these little assholes <laughs> exactly right so apparently in the, in the initial version I, I haven't looked into you know it's the internet why do we verify anything but uh my understanding is that was initially, and it, it's plausible, seems plausible, that the Misfit Toys didn't have a home. They weren't, you know, they, they met them and they left and that was it. But they, you know, of course, they they have that. And it does feel like a little bit of like an add-on scene with the Misfit Toys when they're yeah, home. Yeah, it does. What I love about this is about the same as what we were talking about about stop motion. It creates this other world, like the weird herky-jerky movements of the reindeer, the way things aren't exactly right, the way the bumble, which is that abominable snowman thing, sort of right. shuffles around. And Yukon Cornelius, his, he's one of my favorite characters of all time. He's very, he's a super interesting character. He is, and he comes yes. into it, and he's got that bizarre- He throws like, that pick in the air, and he licks it. Licks it. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> it's got that weird corkscrew <laughs> mustache that just sticks like, directly out on the sides. Of... Bumbles bounce. <laughs> it's just so much energy. <laughs> the Burr Alive Snowman is wonderful. I love. Yeah. Oh yeah, I that's love great. And what he sings two songs. He sings "Have a Holly Jolly Christmas." Yeah. And does it? And what was the other one Silver he sings? Silver and gold. In the, in the, Silver, oh, and gold. Silver and gold. Silver and gold. Yes. I work in a um, a retail environment. And they're, you know, right now there are all these holiday songs playing 
And two of the songs that are playing are Have a Holly Jolly Christmas by Burt Lives and Silver and Gold by Burt Lives. And they're two, and they're still two of the best. I mean, they mean nothing. But they mean nothing, but they are the best. Yeah, they're so much fun. I love Burl. I'm a big uh, Burl Lives fan, but he uh, uh, he's he's fun in this is the snowman. But yeah, it's just something that becomes very sort of iconic. I think right off the bat, and and it's such a goofy song, right? Like the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. It's just like yeah. a lark, and then they it make is. this little story of it. But I think they they have fun characters, and what here's the thing I like is they do. They do treat it like a fantasy story, right? You have a journey. You have monsters, that kingdom of the misfit toys. Like, you didn't really need, like, I think sitting down and saying, well, how are we going to adapt Rudolph? Like, you don't really need any of those pieces. You don't need Hermie, who wants to be a dentist. Hermie but <laughs> that yes. stuff adds to the It's an eccentric story. Like, when you, we yeah. take it for granted because we've always been around it. But that is not a normal Christmas story. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Hermie is an abortion. Yes. So many Christmas stories are weird. I was trying to make this point recently. It's like these things you guys accept, like Christmas Carol and and, and, and these movies, like this is these are strange stories. (laughs) And and Rudolph is strange, but I love it for that. Have you guys seen Rudolph's Happy New Year? Yes. Years ago, but I have seen that. I kind of like that one too. I I Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Shiny New Year. Yes. He's he's following baby New Year, but the E on the buzzard, which has a giant clock embedded in its chest. Oh my god. What is on the buzzard? (laughs) Even the shiny new year, that little baby. You're like, what the hell am I watching? And they wander through time. So he's like dancing around (laughs) with dinosaurs, and you're like, why is Rudolph? involved in this story <laughs> at all i forgot about that one i oh, I, see, that, I, I grew yeah. up with that one too i saw it around the same time so i i i, I gotta place them together in my head but um and cr- of course that's new year not christmas but they, they played it around the same time but rudolph is is a classic and from there Rankin and bass just like took over the christmas uh holiday market oh they were the they so were many. the shit Definitely. <laughs> so how about some other ones? What's some other Rankin Bass ones that you guys like? Well, Santa Claus is coming to town. Yes. And I think Karen was saying this, and I'm with her. I have a hard time differentiating what happens if Santa Claus is coming to town versus the year without a Santa Claus. Oh, I always you know remember- what? Well, the Santa Claus is coming to town had what? It had the Burgermeister Meisterburger. Yes. Who was the true villain? And who was that, uh, oh, God, that character, what was it, Keenan Wynn, I think, voiced him. Oh, God damn. Now, is this the one with the heat miser, or? That's no. without a Santa. That's Santa Claus's, okay. that's, that's uh, Santa Claus's, uh, that's, that's the later one. The year without one. a Santa Claus, yes. The <laughs> year without a Santa Claus, that's the later one, yes. I saw the year without a Santa Claus the year it was released. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. I saw it on TV when it premiered. I think I was two. <laughs> I was, what, what was that? What, when did it release? 74. 74. I was zero. Okay. I was like I was five. I was five years old. <laughs> I was negative five when this movie came out. <laughs> that Mickey one's my favorite. In this one, right? The year that of Claus, all yeah. of them, The Year Without a Santa Claus is my favorite because of Heat Miser and freeze miser yes the songs that they sing in that and it's what is it it's uh uh oh god who was the guy who did uh freeze miser shit oh the voice yeah he was he was he was in uh it's a mad 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 world he played oh yeah um oh uh dick sean 
Dick Sean, yes. Dick Sean did the voice of yeah. Freeze Miser. George Irving and is the heat Paul Freeze did Heat Miser. Yeah, George, yeah, George S. Irving is Heat Miser. Yep. Yes. I loved both of their songs in that. And I saw that the day it premiered. Yeah, that's the best. I love hearing the, that song on the radio when they do the, the two pieces, the I'm Mr. White Christmas and all that. I'm I liked Mr. it. Mr. White Christmas, I'm Mr. Snow. No, I liked I'm it Mr. less yeah. when Schwarzenegger yeah. sang it in Batman and Robin. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> but um, That movie sucked ass. It, it surely did. Now, funny because the Heat Miser, and we we're talking about Ron Perlman, a few years ago, they had that Monster Hunter movie, right? And suddenly right. Ron Perlman shows up in that Monster Hunter movie and he's got his red hair sticking out at her angles. Look for all the world like a live action heat miser. So every time I see them, it's like, <laughs> like Guillermo heat miser. Toro needs to make a year without a Santa Claus live action with Ron Perlman as the heat miser. Nice. Just throwing it out there. There was but, a, um, a Big Bad Voodoo Daddy's version of that song that came out in the oh, 90s. Oh, I remember that. that. Yes, that's the one they play a lot in the in the thing but and i love when the heat miser and the snow miser and is it mother nature she has she's their mom, their she, mom. yeah mother nature is the mother of both of them and she has to and come there's out a and scene like where, where mrs claus goes to mother nature to rein in both cold you know freeze miser and heat miser and so i saw this the other day i had never seen it and i and maybe it was uh uh yeah, it looks like it came out in 2008. There was a Miser Brothers Christmas. I saw that online too. I've never seen that. So I haven't and I'm seen that either. It was probably not amazing. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is so George S. Irving does come back and do the Heat Miser, and of course Mickey Rooney, who is still alive at that point, does Santa Claus again. Oh wow! So uh, Wong Kyoran played Snow Miser, but I haven't seen it. It came out 2008, December 13th. So. It yeah, never- you know what? That's it. Mickey Rooney was Santa Claus in this one as well. Yeah, yes. he was Santa Claus in a couple of them. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was Santa Claus in in um, Santa what was Claus it? The year without a Santa too. Claus, and he was Santa Claus in. Okay. And so that explains. Well, I was just recently on an episode of uh, Screaming Through the Ages with Trey at uh, Whetstone, and we were talking about Silent Night, Deadly Night movies, and because. When the original Silent Night, Deadly Night comes out, and Dave, Dave and I were just talking about this before the show started, uh, I thought inexplicably someone asked Mickey Rooney, well, what do you think about this making Santa Claus a villain or a killer, a slasher? And you know, he made some statement, all these bums, they should be run out of town on a rail. Right, yes. Um, <laughs> the irony being that like, by the time Silent Night, Deadly Night 5 comes along, Mickey Rooney is in a sauna outfit terrorizing people in that film. And they just uh, commemorated it on the cover of the new Vestron release. But I was always one. I said to Trey, well, why? Mickey Rooney seems like such a random person to ask about this. And I completely forgot that he was Santa in all of these all these movies. He was like Santa in a, in two of these movies. And you think, I mean, again, these, the this is a much more Santa likable Claus Santa. And what was that? Santa Claus is coming to town. Yes, he was He was the voice of Santa in both of them. And I yeah. like Mickey Rooney as Santa a lot better than the guy in the in the Rudolph. Like, he's yes. a more likable Santa. You kind of like Santa. Yeah, you do. You like Mickey Rooney more than you like that bastard in <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the, 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 the through line of the kind of, like, grumpy sort of uh, commandeering... Uh, santa claus that kind of doesn't care about you if you don't like toe the line like that was kind of common in ranking and bass stuff because i feel like <laughs> the night before christmas or twas the night before christmas not the, the the actual poem but the that 
animation. Oh, with the that, that animated special. Santa's kind of was the night before Christmas. <laughs> where the, yes, I love that. Yes. With the mice. Yes, yeah, so that's traditional animation. But Yes, uh, it really was. I loved that. I love that. Uh, I love that special. I did. There's something about that animation. It's the same with Frosty, though. It kind of bothers me. I feel like I, I don't know if I got high on cough syrup as a child and watched one of these specials or something, but there's just <laughs> a distortion or something about the way the characters are drawn and those big, like, their eyes look super dilated like anime characters and their cheeks are like giant, like, just blotches of red color. It looks like they've been drinking wild turkey. It's just like <laughs> a little disturbing for me. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I have never, ever considered Frosty the Snowman as a Christmas special. Yeah, I just well, have it's not really. And I no, yeah, it's I, not. It just feels like a winter special. It it is. It's, it has nothing. And really the to fact do with that Christmas. Jackie Vernon did the voice of of Frosty and did the voice in Microwave Massacre. <laughs> there you go. You can't get better than that. A funny, no. kind of neat story. For me, the fact that the the voice of Frosty the Snowman was in Microwave Massacre, I love that. I love the fact that Microwave Massacre exists at all. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I'm with title. you. I love that Microwave Massacre exists at all. Yes. And a great, and I don't know if great's the right word, but it's got an amazing cover art too there. I'd see it every once in a yeah. while as I scroll <laughs> happily past it on Tubi or Netflix or whatever. That's not on Netflix, but I think it might be on Prime. But uh, a fun kind of story about the um, Frosty the Snowman is that uh, uh, it was a couple couple Christmases ago, I was talking to my uh, my father-in-law and uh, who, and, and you might be aware of this, um, Dave, that he uh, he used to live up in Hagerstown, PA. And oh, wow. in Hagerstown, he the school he went to, one of his teachers was the man who wrote Frosty the Snowman, the song, the actual song. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and I looked it up. Yeah, I was like, oh, yep, this pans out. <laughs> but um, I, I thought that was a, that's a kind of a cool, neat thing that he was from, from Hagerstown. From, yeah, that's from really PA. cool. Uh, but Frosty Snowman's fun. It's fine. Uh, the the show. It's another case where they make this weird story that really has no. Uh, I guess the story of Frosty's in there, and it just adds a couple things. But it, it never made much of an impression with me. Um, I do kind of like the 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 thing with like the nightmare, uh, not nightmare. The thing about the night before Christmas is that it. Uh, the story's kind of neat, you know, with the little mice and and what yes. happens and how they're trying to like. I love that reignite uh, the the Christmas and this mouse has made a mistake. Like the the story is kind of fun and cool. I, the animation, like I say, it's, it's a little bit nauseating to me, but <laughs> it's a it's an acquired taste, I think. But. How about some others? Because Rankin and Bass, they did a lot. And I, I sometimes I, they run together for me a little bit. So I watched yeah. one. Do we want to talk about Nestor, the long-eared donkey? <laughs> we're sure we do. But what were you going to mention, uh, um, Karen? Well, first, let's talk about Nestor. Because yes. we could <laughs> add that to the animated movies that you want to slit your wrists to. Because... Yes, my mother <laughs> weeps. Every time she watches Nestor it's the Long-Eared Donkey. Awful. <laughs> I saw it one time. I would rather watch a 24-hour marathon of Hallmark Christmas movies than sit through another viewing of Nestor the Long-Eared <laughs> Christmas Donkey. <laughs> Even the song. If I hear that song, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> wow. 
That that says something. It's so sad. It's like Bambi because I don't want to spoil it for people, but in the beginning, his mother dies trying to keep him warm in a snowstorm. What were they thinking? What were they? Here's Nestor. It's awful, and then everybody makes fun of him. But uh, yeah, it's it's horrible. I hate that movie. I don't know what was going on, like. With these, it's just like you know what we need to do: give children a fear of losing their parents, or better yet, if you already don't have your parents, enjoy a happy Christmas special. Yeah, let me the doggy's, while the you're doggy's down. mom is dead too. <laughs> um, and, and the character, my mother have... weeps like a child every time Nestor the long-eared donkey is played. I believe it. It's really, really let, sad. Let me. I'm just gonna throw this out there. Maybe I'll delete it because this is such a bah humbug thing to say. But it's like it's all these stories, these little poor put upon ragamuffin characters, right? Like Nestor the long-eared donkey, his mom dies, and all these things happen to him. But don't worry, he gets to be with Jesus. In <laughs> Jesus' story, isn't that special? He gets to carry Mary all the way yeah. through wherever. Yeah, guess what? I uh I I was literally a pack mule for the Messiah. And like, <laughs> the you know what, Nathan? Do you not this. think of Life of Brian? Yes, yes, I do. Yes. Every time I watch that movie, I think of Life of Brian. <laughs> With Terry Jones yes. as the mother of Brian. Yes. No, I, I'm with you too. That's where I am. A couple of years ago, no, but now I'm in the Baham Bug camp. And Little Drummer Boy, the same deal. It's like drum, Little Drummer Boy probably died oh, behind yeah, the little barn boy, of like, yes. hypothermia an hour later, but he got to be with Jesus. So he's fine. <laughs> Come before. I do like the Little Drummer Boy animated film, though. That's a kind of fun one. And I think they did a sequel to that one, too. That was also. Rankin and Bass, and then did they do a sequel to Little Drummer Boy? Yeah, Little Drummer Boy Two, back in action. Oh, or Jesus Christ! Or Are you kidding like me? Back in action. It was a Little Drummer Boy Book Two. <laughs> Just to make wow. it as pompous as possible. So here's Little the Drummer plot. Boy Listen Two. This wow. The Drummer Boy struggles to protect the bell maker's great several bells from seizure <laughs> by Roman soldiers. So it became like a full blown <laughs> action epic. <laughs> I remember oh, it Christ. vaguely now that I hear the bit about the Roman soldiers and soldiers. I don't remember the sequel, but I remember the original well, one. Well, this is when they got on a roll. This is like Rankin Bass that can't be stopped because they do Frosty's Winter Wonderland in like 76. And they do The Stingiest Man in Town, which I kind of remember. But again, it has those black pool eye animated characters that are like, no, get away from me. So I didn't watch a lot of that. Rudolph Shiny New Year was 76. So here, when they really start to lose their minds is when you get to, like, Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Jesus wept. Uh, yes, I, I remember that. that. <laughs> but but, but they, they're still getting the voice cast because they get, like, Red Buttons and Ethel Merman and Mickey Rooney's back in this one. And Wow. But it's a mess. Have you seen it? And it's, like, 97 minutes long. Yes, I remember watching that back in the day. It's a feature-length it movie. Shit. And it won't stop. It just won't stop. Uh, yes. We well, you talk about Pinocchio. Pinocchio's Christmas. They do that in 1980. And I have a big memory of that one. And it was like, yeah, it was whatever. But then when they really start to go crazy is when they do the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. What? Have you seen this one? No, so I didn't see that. I I saw this and they played it back to back because they were playing on a television. just came out in 81. And you were talking about, oh, I remember seeing this the night it came out. I didn't see this one the night it came out. But it was played before one that they did 
uh, debut and the debut of it. We're talking about it. It's the life and adventures of Santa Claus. Le- <laughs> Leprechauns. Yeah, you're giggling on rank. The Leprechauns Christmas Gold. This is the, the 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 setup for it. An Irish sailor is stranded on an island full of leprechauns and soon finds himself aiding them and protecting their gold from a greedy hag. What he really needs to say is a greedy banshee. They release a banshee. It starts wreaking havoc. Art Carney is the voice of the primary leprechaun. Art Carney. Wow. Yes, they. I actually- love Art Carney. But that sounds like shit. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. It's so weird. Well, you know, and it's funny because they're taking these two things that don't go together, right? The Leprechaun's Christmas gold should be the Leprechaun's St. Patrick's gold, right? Just is there, is there an animated St. Patrick's Day special? I don't think so. Why can't it go there? Why? So they yeah, spend like you're 20, right. There should be a St. Patrick's Day special. This thing is 25 minutes long. I swear to you, 20 minutes of those 25 minutes is this leprechaun of Art Carney just explaining to you what leprechauns are and, <laughs> and, and the mythology of what a banshee is and the gold and everything. And it's just like, it's like all the boring parts of Darby O'Gill and the little people, <laughs> but none of the fun stuff. But I think that you sing Christmas and Killarney. So there you go. Oh, do you remember the Rankin Bass special for Easter? Yes, yes. What was that? Um, oh God, what was it called? The Easter ones always got real depressed. Oh my God, it had always, Vincent like Price had a... as like one of the evil bunnies. Yes, what was? That? <laughs> I can't remember what the hell. It's I can't. Called. It wasn't very good. I remember they played. No, the no, it wasn't good at all. It also, as we're talking about anime specials, that's Easter, which save a different time. But there was one, this Christian produced one that dealt with this little boy's dog who runs away and then like dies and he finds the leash and like the blood where it was possibly eaten by rats what? but then it comes back again so it's a beautiful picture of the resurrection what oh are you shitting me <laughs> i don't even remember that one. i'll look it up while we're looking at other things but yeah tell me what that one was <laughs> so before we get well we you know this is that's what's fun about this just rapid fire stuff there are other people did make christmas animated specials that weren't ragged and bass but let's talk about I'm going to let Karen, you take that away. I'm going to figure out what this other demented crap was. Well, <laughs> uh, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, based off of a story by Frank Obama, who did Oz. This is 1985. Fantasy is in high demand, you know, in terms of like, this is the era of Jim Henson and everything like that, the never-ending story. And so then the, here comes Rankin and Bass with essentially Lord of the Rings, Santa Claus. It totally, I, I took a picture of my TV and sent it to my brother. And he said, are you watching animated Lord of the Rings? Which Rankin and Bass also did. Yes. Yes, they did. There's a literal table where they're sitting around it. And it looks just like Lord of the Rings. Um, It's got the worst songs, I have to say, of any of these specials I've ever heard. (laughs) What's the name of that first song where they're talking about how we can't have children, so we come out already grown up or something i it's, can't but remember. it sounds it's I, i'm gonna play it at the opening of this oh episode. good <laughs> and it's like it sounds very high it's like now and forever and it's like really deep it's like it's something about the immortals all from ages to come to the last crack of doom or some kind of crazy wow. stuff and all these fantasy <laughs> creatures are coming down the steps and you have like the elves and the i don't know the 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 fairies. You know, they, they all have names. Here come the Nels, and here come the. You oh know, yeah, the they're Nooks. their own names for and sure. Here's Peter Nook, and it's all this weird stuff, but it's kind of fascinating at the same time. <laughs> oh, this is. I'm gonna watch this more than once, and you know, if if you can take an edible and watch this, I bet it would be really good. 
it. Um, but they have like those cool, the snake and the spider. Those were awesome. The, the ones that try to go after Santa. And there's like this whole story about Santa Claus has nothing to do with any of the other shows. Like his, his origin story has nothing to do with anything you'd ever heard before. I'm trying to no. This is not Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah. No, definitely not. He <laughs> came from the woods and this uh Gandalf turns him into uh an immortal guy. <laughs> great act. The great act. Yes. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry, and, it wasn't Gandalf. <laughs> but it basically is. It's like so he's he's essentially left out at like the edge of the forest of the immortals. Like a, someone just chucks a baby out there and they find it and they bring it into this forest where these immortals are living alongside these sort of magical animals. There's like a lioness that protects him. And then one of the wood elves decides to raise him as her son. And so Santa Claus is living, growing up amongst the mortals, but at some point they send him out on his own. And that's when he like realizes how poor and pathetic all of humanity is. <laughs> And how they really, you know, these little ragamuffin children, what they need more than, you know, food and protection from illness are toys. Toys. And, yeah, so once right. everything, there's, there's a whole song where these little ragamuffin kids are singing about how they want a cat with yellow green eyes or whatever. <laughs> it's cute. It's cute. But then uh, he he makes the toys. But then there's this whole, the, the Aguas are these trolls that live in the mountains. And they really. Orcs. Yeah, they're orcs, essentially. Orcs. For whatever reason, yes. they hate Lord that Santa the yes. makes toys. Um, so instead of just eating him, they just keep stealing the toys from him. And eventually he has to call the immortals who come in and have like a bloody battle to the death where the immortals <laughs> slaughter all of the Aguas so that Santa <laughs> can deliver his toys. I honestly thought you were making this up before I watched it. I, I thought, I, I think at some point, if I hadn't had this recorded on VHS, I think Dave and I have talked about this. The beauty of VHS back in the day is it would prove you weren't crazy. <laughs> yes. The delirium of what it must have been like to be a kid in the 70s before you had a VHS oh, recorder. Man. Like, did I just have a really high fever and imagine I watched that? <laughs> because I feel like that would happen. A lot, you know. It happened more often than not. And there was no Google to try to look up, what did I watch? It had this and this and this in it. And if nobody knew what you were talking about, then you just were left out and had to wait yeah. and try to find it again. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes it ain't that easy as I'm finding out right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did indeed discover it. So uh, Easter is, this was a TV movie from 1974. Uh Thankfully, it appears that Rankin and Bass was not involved in any way. But uh, Benji is actually the name of the kid. He's not the dog this time. He's too preoccupied with coming on a project for a school's Easter decorating contest that his dog Waldo runs away. He prays he wants Waldo to come home. And eventually, he learns the true meaning of the holiday after Waldo is eaten by rats and comes back to life. Wow. <laughs> but damn it, was there not a Rankin Bass special? With Vincent Price at that time. Was there? There was. Yes. It was I it was like I don't it was about the Easter Bunny. And it had Vincent Price. It had um oh God, who's that guy? Damn it. This is a he fascinating hosted... rabbit hole, no pun intended, that we're following. Comes... No, yeah, he he hosted the um I think it was Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Yes, here comes Peter Cottontail. Nineteen seventy one. Yes. 
I saw that when it was first released. Yep, Vincent Price. There it is. And Vincent yep. Price played Iron Tail. Jan- January Q Iron Tail. <laughs> yes. I saw that as a kid when it was first released. Now these the bunny has those Deadpool eyes too. <laughs> Just the dark circle. Ooh. Yeah, let's see. That that one and Danny K, Paul Freeze. Wow. And Paul Freeze, yes. I saw that one and You Without a Santa Claus when it was first Casey, released. Casey Kasem. <laughs> Casey Kasem, I yes. Watch, I can't believe. Danny K is Seymour S. Sassafras. Like, of course Danny <laughs> K is Seymour S. Sassafras. Casey Kasem and Vincent Price. I have to watch that. I've seen yeah. it before, but I need to. We'll have to do the, the but anyway, this isn't. Easy. I own oh, that. History. I own, P- here comes Peter Cottontail on DVD. <laughs> Yes. Well, I think Dave and I, we've talked, we could talk again a little bit, but we've, I think we've definitely talked about the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Oh, uh, yes. Probably oh, amazing. Yes. And it's one of the best. I love my favorite Christmas things. It, it is one of the best. And, and it's funny because when it first came out, Charles Schultz was horrified by it. He was? He thought it was terrible. <gasps> and when you watch the special, you can see why Charles yeah. Schultz hated it. There are moments in that special where characters, like, they all of a sudden morph into other characters. And it looks like they don't, because they color the panels on one color, there's one point where it looks like a kid's not wearing a shirt. Like, yes. It's just all peach. And there like there are moments naked. in that special that look like hell. Oh. And Charles Schultz was horrified by it. And they released it in high def, and now you're like, I don't need to see this. Well, the def. problem with, with, Charles, with uh, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is... They needed six months to make it, and they were given six weeks. Yeah, and 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 because of that, I think from Charles Schultz's perspective. So here's the thing: is he's already written all this stuff, right? Like he he's the content, the heart, the part that people respond to. He's already aware of. But what he saw yes. was a certain shoddiness to the to the. Oh, making. he thought it was pure and they, shit. And and through the years, Dave, you and I talked about this on a previous episode. Through the years, they they cleared, they fixed some of those things. That were they fixed a initially. little bit of it. Not all. They of it, fixed a little bit. Of it. The girl who did Sally, Charlie, you know Charlie Brown's sister. She she could only do her voice with her mother sitting there in the recording booth with her, giving her line by line Oof. what she was going to say. And it was just it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare for Charles Schultz. It was a nightmare for everyone. It just, everyone thought it was pure shit. And yet the world loves it. Oh, I love yeah. it. Oh, it's, it's I think it's the greatest Christmas special ever I made. There's also the I, I agree with you 100%. There's a simplicity to it that works. And then again, there's a little bit of eccentricity too. You're like, look at this kid. You know, everyone's like, why is he always complaining? Because he's like an eight-year-old kid with a beer gut and he's balding. Like, of course he's... <laughs> right. And all his friends problem. are mean to him. They're yes, mean. They him like junk. Oh, <laughs> Lucy is a freaking bitch. She what is. The, what the, when that movie... They did a movie in 2015, and I'm never a fan of like when they do... like. It's like, how are you going to go back and do this thing that's that has a very spe- specific identity, and you make a movie out of it? But I, I don't know if you guys saw it. It was a 3D animated movie. It was actually pretty good. And one of the things that was Peanuts. good about it was yeah. the through line was just that finally some people recognize that Charlie Brown is the glue that keeps all these 
people together. Like, oh, right. They finally got a moment. He got, he got his moment with the little red hair girl. He finally had, you know, uh, Lucy say, Hey, you did something right. It was like, it was a long time coming. The movie oh. deserved oh, to exist. All it's that actually crap. Good. If you guys get a with, chance to with, see it, it's actually good. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you with all that crap in that original special with Charlie Brown. Well, he becomes the director of the play. Yes, but it's yeah. he's the ultimate everyman. Like to me, you know, we, you see these other movies where they try to have a, here's Clark Griswold. I mean, to me, Clark Griswold's a sociopath. But Karen, <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. Uh, you know, but the, he's he's the perfect like put upon. He's trying to make this come together. He wants it to work. And all of these, we talked about that crazy Easter special a minute ago. We talked about like the Little Drummer Boy. It's like these shows at this time frame were always trying to kind of shoehorn the religious aspect into it. Yeah, and it's done kind of perfectly here because Linus just walks out. He says the story that exists in the Bible. And he says, <laughs> yep. "That's the there, meaning of yes, Christmas." He does he that off. scene. <laughs> that scene in a Charlie Brown Christmas is my favorite sequence in that film. Yes, where Linus walks out and he does that religious sequence. And it's the it's one of the best like evocations of the nativity story. <laughs> yes, it really is. He goes up, and there were angels, and there were there were shepherds. You know, he it's amazing. I love that. Describe it as he's processed it in his head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of that's what's beautiful and wonderful works about it. And let me tell you something, Clark Griswold. For me, Clark Griswold was Chevy Chase's best character that he ever played. Yeah. (laughs) I think the thing about Clark Griswold, the thing about Chevy Chase, when he played that character, that eternal optimist. That was him at his best. But the eternal optimist who's always ready to snap and who is really at the drop of a hat, ready to have adultery, adulterous relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Life. He would have <laughs> nailed, uh, what was her name? Billy Joel's wife. Christy Brinkley. Christy Brinkley. Christy Brinkley. He would have nailed her not just in a, her, in a, in a New York minute Christmas special too. The girl in the store at the yeah. Christmas show. Oh him yeah, that. right. Her and, with, and, with and honestly, the, it was amazing it, as well. Yeah, he would have nailed either one of them. Let's face it, too. I may have to just cut this part out and put it in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> let's put it. Let's let's face it too about the about that. He it only takes one or two other things to happen in in Christmas Vacation for that to become a straight up horror film. Where now Clark Griswold is the Ricky character from Yes. <laughs> it's really the, the looks in his eyes when he gets the gleam. It's like thing he's at one point he walks out with the hockey mask in the chair. I was gonna say he so, does sort of do that. Like you, and you he wouldn't does. want Clark Griswold as a neighbor. Like, you know, we were no. supposed to laugh at the like the yuppies that get their comeuppance, but I mean there's not there's less there's less difference between Clark and uh, Uncle Eddie than Clark would like to admit, I think. Uh yeah. <laughs> That that's one of the things I like about uh, Chevy Chase in those movies, when he plays the eternal optimist. I think he's at his strongest. Yes, his other movie that I thought was really good that actually, uh, and and it was probably partially because the director um, was a Funny Farm, which I didn't. Yes, going to be good. At Funny all. Farm is an amazing movie. Me, that's I'm with you. Movie. I think that's another one of Clark Griswold. Yeah, that is Chevy Chase playing the optimist, and what George Roy Hill. Yep. He directed that movie, and it, it was his last film. That was George Roy Hill's last movie he ever directed. You, you look at it and see, say, that's not good, but watch it. It's a really good movie. It's a damn good movie, yeah. yes. <laughs> what was it when he was eating the sheep The balls? lamb fries. The, trick the lamb fries, yes. High and he spits <laughs> the last one out, and he hits the... 
bell thing on the thing. Yeah, great. But I think we're talking about Christmas movie. <laughs> we were. So there. Besides Rankin and Bass, because I'm I'm dedicated to get this. You know, I, I have my timer set. And we're coming down. We got about 15 minutes left here because the, we went a little over when we talked about um, you know. Uh, uh, Pinocchio. Pinocchio, but that's fine. Yeah, and and I've got time, so I'm not in a in a rush. But besides Rankin and Bass, there were other Christmas specials, and were I think. There? Well, sure, there were. I mean, Charlie Brown, for instance, and you had, uh, which was not related to, to Rankin Bass, but I'm thinking more when you get to the 80s, when you suddenly had characters that, you know, there's a, well, the Grinch, let's uh, the Grinch is not Rankin Bass. Oh, oh my God, yes. the Grinch. Yeah. So the, how the yes. Grinch stole Christmas, which is. Yes. Obviously, a there, there's a movie that where you know what the Grinch. I feel kind of bad for him now because the entire the entire special there's there's Thurl Ravencroft singing "You're a Foul One, <laughs> Mr. Grinch." Yeah, I, I feel bad for him in a way. Well, and I, and I think, I think that's the thing, right? So this is in the '60s. We talked about Rudolph. There's this this through line. It's I don't think an accident where the other is the problem. And the other is the problem until they learn what was so special about everybody else. <laughs> in a sense, you know, but yeah. they either have to win their affection. <laughs> they've got to prove themselves. It's not up to, I mean, when, and it becomes a problem, right? That's a, that's such a problem that when they make, they remake the Grinch twice more. I'm not talking about that new horror version, <laughs> the mean one or whatever, <laughs> or just killing people. But when they remake this one with, um, the Jim Carrey version, right? Yeah, first one that comes back out in 2000. When they, when, when Ron Howard goes to make that, he's like, "Well, what are we going to do? The Who's or the Jerks, right? Like, <laughs> right? Who's have him up on that mountaintop?" <laughs> so they had to create a storyline that, that that does give some sympathy to the Grinch. And it's not just the Grinch who's got problems. The Who's, the materialistic little Who's down in Whoville, are problems <laughs> too. And when they come back and do the one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, like it's the same thing. It's like, no, that character. You have to have some empathy for that character. That character didn't get up on that mountaintop by himself. Right. Yes. All of a sudden, you like the Grinch. Well, and you're right, because the, the Grinch is essentially that guy who just doesn't love Christmas that much. Guess what? You suck. Right. You live in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> so I could relate and to him a Boris lot And it was Boris Karloff who did the Grinch yeah, originally. Yeah, the narrator. Yes. Love that. Yes. And you can't. how can you not love Boris Karloff? Right, and he's so good. It's such a good, and and that's always fun to like point out to the kids. You know, oh well, you know Boris Karloff is, but uh, yeah. So there were there were definitely Christmas animated specials that weren't done by Rankin Bass, but they just sort of cornered the market on they it. Really did at least they when really we were did. Kids. Yes, uh, there did. was also one called The Cricket on the Hearth. Do you guys remember that one? No, no. Uh, and I can't remember who did that one, but that was another one that was based off, I think, of, I think of a book. And it was it was that same kind of same animation that they did. Uh, 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 Dave, you and I talked about Ricky Ticky Tabby a few. Um, oh, I love ago. Ricky. That yes, that's amazing. Of, that's an amazing anime. Yeah, yeah. It, so the Cricket on the Hearth was a novella by Charles Dickens. And they oh, did wow. this version of it in 19. Nope. Forget it. Rankin Bass did that, too. Uh, <laughs> But the, yeah, the cricket on the hearth. I thought it was someone else, but no, indeed, they did that. A cricket seeks to rescue a poor toy maker. Yeah, rescue a poor toy maker and his blind daughter from an exploitative miser. And this had Danny Thomas and Marlo Thomas and Ed Ames and oh, I have uh, to watch that did, too. You know, Paul oh, Freese was in this. Roddy well, McDowell was the cricket. Yeah. Really? And, wow. Uh, Roddy yeah, McDowell. Hans Conrad awesome. was in it too. 
So it's got a good cast on it. I haven't seen it in years. It was 1967, so it was definitely in that first sort of uh, run of the of the Christmas movies. I thought it was someone else, but when you do get to the 80s, so the 80s had a lot of like the Smurfs had a Christmas special. Yes, um, every cartoon character, had. every like, goddamn cartoon had a Christmas mm-hmm. special. Yeah, the, the Smurf Christmas special. One of the characters wants to take the children back to hell, and like is like <laughs> literally trying to evoke the devil, and the fire ring is appearing, and the the Smurfs have to help them. And there's, I remember watching the Smurfs as a kid. I loved that cartoon. Yeah, and but so I don't remember the Christmas special. Well, they and and I think they were like kind of they would just churn them out because I remember the He Man Christmas special and the Shira Christmas special, and none of, them, none of them were great. Uh, now the ones I did think worked much better uh, were, and if you're kidding me, you probably remember them. Was the Garfield Christmas special? Uh, yes, I, do remember I remember that, that one. one. The Garfield yes, Christmas special that. is fun because it's essentially like. It's that feeling of like what it really sort of is to get together at the holidays, like with family members just bothering you. Right. Constantly. Him and that little dog and the other little kitten. Odie and I can't remember the kitten's name. Oh, not Norval, but it's something like that, right? Like, yeah, Nerval or Nerville, something like Nerville, that. There yes. you go, yeah. <laughs> but the Garfield Christmas special, the thing that I kind of remember that about was the grandmother. Who uh, does it? Because she reminded me of her grand, yes. my grandmother. Oh wow! She would sort of come behind the mom who's trying. She would run the mother down, the mother-in-law, or not her mother, but her daughter-in-law down constantly, oh. <laughs> as much as she could. Right. And she was voiced by she was Grandma Arbuckle. This came out like nineteen eighty, was it eighty-seven or something like that? Eighty-seven, yep. And so uh, Pat Carroll voiced the grandmother. A year or two later, she voices Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Oh, wow. So the, the same voice. And Lorenzo Music, of course, is Garfield. But the Garfield Christmas special, I thought, was always a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, I'm trying to think of other ones around that same time. Oh, let's, you know what? Let's just throw it out there. Fat Albert's Christmas special. <laughs> Fat Albert's Christmas special. Yeah, just, just throw it. Let's throw it out there. I remember um, seeing that when it first premiered. And let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess they're not fully animated, but I'm going to mention it anyway, is... Uh, we have because I think it kind of falls in that that area is the um, the Muppets, you know, always had Christmas specials and you had like, oh, yes. so many and they had the one. I remember the one with John Denver specifically and they kind of introduced the Fraggles and the Fraggles got their own Christmas special. And- oh, the Fraggles. I remember when they premiered on HBO. Yes, I do, too. And I remember forget- that premiere of the Fraggles on HBO. It was what, 82 or 83? Something yes. like that. Yeah. And Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Yes, that's on my list here to mention. I love (laughs) Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Have you seen the outtakes for that? No, I don't think so. There are outtakes for Emmett Otter's. Just go on YouTube and search on outtakes, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And it all involves that drum rolling out of that (laughs) freaking store. And they had to do like a hundred takes of it. Oh. And it's hilarious. Just watch the outtakes for Eminem's Jug Band Christmas. Yes. And then see, and that's what's fun is, is, is and that's like the Jim Henson kind of deal. So mm-hmm. yes. another yeah. one that I remember was the Christmas toy that was in 86, and that was a Jim Henson one. And that was another creepy one where the toys, um, if a person saw the toy moving. The toys would go out and play around in the playroom, which is a cool idea. You're kidding. Oh, your toys go play. But if the person catches the toy, 
it gets frozen forever and then it's essentially dead right it's like locked wow <laughs> right it's all, there's always that dark element there's always that bit that like hey guess guess what christmas kind of sucks for some people um, <laughs> and so you kind of get that um but the christmas toy is a neat one it's kind of weird but it, they always had that like melancholy element to them i think some of these christmas specials and that's always remember yeah. i did want to kind of i was trying to find examples of more of of Christmas specials that happened after the eighties. Cause I barely remember any of them. Right. Like I, um, I don't remember any. After and the now here's a, here's a big one. I think that people don't think of this, of, of this, but the Simpsons. So the Simpsons really only exists because there was a Christmas special. Oh, the very first Simpsons yes. episode was just was a Christmas, a Christmas special. What? Yes. It was originally was it with on the dog. Um, it was well, on that show, Tracy. Tracy Ullman, Ullman show. Tracy Ullman show. Yes, I remember watching the original Simpsons on the Tracy Me Ullman too. show back in 1989. I was it? Do too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, 89 is the. Yeah, I think even before that might have been 88 because 89 is when the Christmas special comes out. Because I do remember seeing that the night it came out, and we were like, I think my parents were like, okay, you can't watch this anymore. But <laughs> 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 that first episode is a Christmas special where they go to get Santa's little helper, which is like, Oh, Santa's little helper, the dog who didn't win the race. He (laughs) was like last in that, in that race. Right. Yeah. They go around the neighborhood and they come back and Homer's like, look at this crappy looking house. Look at this house. (laughs) Throwing rocks at it. And they're like, dad, let me tell you something. (laughs) I remember watching the Simpsons back. in when they did the first episode with Mr. Burns, was that the first episode after Santa's Little Helper? I want to say it was with Mr. Burns, and yes, it was at his at his ho- at his party. Yes, and a friend of mine are watching. We're watching that episode, and the whole episode where like Mr. Burns is just a total prick. Yeah, release the hounds. It's the first thing you know. <laughs> release the hounds and just like fire that man. <laughs> I fell in love with the Simpsons because of Mr. Burns. <laughs> but the, the, that, and that special was called Simpsons roasting on an open fire. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I remember watching it. The funny part is, so it's 80, uh, 89. And I had yeah. never up until that point, I had never seen it's a wonderful life before. And this is incidental, but I, the same day that I, that he came on television and my parents and we all sat down and watched a wonderful life together. Was the first time I saw The Simpsons. <laughs> so, oh, the wow! Simpsons and a Wonderful Life. <laughs> saw both those things for the first time. Christmas back in 1989. Or oh, nice. It was. But I um, remember watching a, a It's a Wonderful Life before that. But yes, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it wasn't that it wasn't on. It's just I had never to that point seen it. But you know, sure. and then we, I think Karen, you and I were talking a little bit. Like then, I, then you got things again a little bit more. Uh, sinister as you go along you get beavis and butthead do christmas and then you get <laughs> south park i think the first i don't know if it was a full-blown episode but i think the, the 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 bit of south park that got started that also inspired everything was an episode where the kids were watching santa claus and god have a fight up in heaven yep <laughs> yeah, and then so. that's the only christmas special i could think of that i had seen after the 80s um <laughs> with mr hanky the christmas poo and then the rest, the rest of it, you can't talk about or play on TV because I don't even know that it would play on cable now. Yeah, I remember there was one much, much later, like in the two, like mid two thousands, where it was like there was a there's a like 
a, a, a miraculous birth of the Savior, but it was really not the Savior. It was in it was in woodland animals, and it really turned out to be the Antichrist oh, and started killing people. Yes, <laughs> it was Satan, and wasn't like for some reason like Jennifer Aniston was there. Yes, it was like, a lot of crazy. They would always throw in like a weird celebrity for no reason. <laughs> Yes, and so you didn't. Hey, re- you know what? You want to talk about that? Let's talk a life of Brian. <laughs> That's right. That opening scene in the life of Brian. <laughs> life of Brian. We need. To, yeah, I think. I think Monty Python. There's enough animation of Monty Python, right? <laughs> oh yes, with Terry Gilliam, he did all the animation in the life of Brian. Yeah, he did all the animation for those early uh, Monty Python films. Yeah, all of it. Like, and he, yes, he did. He also did. I just didn't realize this recently. And this, I love how we go from these tangents. <laughs> I just saw a Vincent Price film. Going to bring Vincent Price back into this called Diary of a Madman. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. Yes, he did the animation yes, at the beginning of that. Like, this is fascinating, Terry Gilliam. That's that Terry movie. Gilliam. Yes, That's a good movie, by the way. I do recommend. It that. is. It's okay. not bad, but it was Terry Gilliam's animation at the beginning of that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you got you had other things. You had the Rugrats Hanukkah. <laughs> There was one that was that I didn't really care for the animation. I think it was based off of a book in the nineties. It was all of the other reindeer, you know, all of the other reindeer. And she was voiced by Drew Barrymore. And, you know, I guess that was cute. And then, you know, Adam Sandler had his eight crazy nights movie or whatever. I loved Adam Sandler's uh, Hanukkah song. Yes. The Hanukkah song is great. The The eight crazy nights inspired (laughs) by the Hanukkah song. Not so great, probably, but, um, but you had some of those. And then, honestly, I haven't kept up with any of these Christmas specials. I know that they, they would come back and try to make things that reminded you of, of the things you saw when you were younger. But I don't think any of it really ever hit uh, no. that I can think. And there's not, you know, we don't get too many of them uh, these days. In fact, I think last year Netflix did like an like it was um, I can't remember the name of it, but we were watching it and it suddenly realized that it was uh you know, it was something, it was a, it was a Netflix special. I think it might've been stop motion and it dealt with, it was called Angela's Christmas. And it, the, the, the little girl goes on Christmas Eve and then she, she gets this idea that she wants to kind of like take care of the little baby Jesus that's there in the, you know, in the nativity. So she <laughs> takes it. And, uh, but then I'm realizing, oh wait, this is, this is based off of Frank McCourt's, you know, is this Angela's ashes? <laughs> Oh, Angela's ashes! Holy shit! <laughs> That's right. It's the and I'm like this. This heartwarming. Weren't there a the bunch story. of kids who died in that? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Right? So this is, but this isn't all of that. This is just the heartwarming part where she, you know, was taking the baby Jesus. But it's that Angela, oh, wow. and it's that story. And I was like, it kind of loses its luster when you realize that. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> it's been three minutes since my last confession. Serious. I, I read a review back when that movie came out. I remember because Frank McCourt came to Towson. He was actually speaking the year that it came out. And I remember seeing him. But the review, and so I was interested in the film and I read the book. The review comes out and it says, well, you know, there's a lot of great performances in the film. And, you know, you really see that everyone had their heart in this. But so much of this movie feels like, uh, what was it? Uh, Beat Your Wife, Vomit Into the Cold Irish Rain, Rinse and Repeat. <laughs> And then, oh, I love the I love the sequence in that when he goes to the confessional. <laughs> I love it where he goes, "Best me, Father, for I have sinned." It's been three minutes since the last confession. He goes, "Are you the young boy who was just in here?" <laughs> He's like, "Yes, Father. Uh, my grandmother sent me in here. She wants to know. Uh, I, I vomited up 
the confession. I vomited up the uh, communion. the communion. <laughs> can do, do? Can we clean it up? And he goes, "Yes, clean up with some water." And he walks out and he says to his grandmother, "We can clean up with some water." And she goes, "Regular water or holy water?" He goes, "I don't know." He's like. Get back in the confessional and ask him. <laughs> so he goes back and he goes, bust me for the fray of sin. It's been one minute since the last confession. He's like, what? He's like, can we, do we clean up with regular water or holy water? And he walks out and he goes, he says, regular water and don't bother me again. <laughs> and you know, that, I think that my issue with that, with the film itself, now that scene, like you said, is funny, but is that Frank McCourt as an author has that sort of, that's the thing. The Irish, they could tell these stories, these tragic stories with this like twinkle in their eye. Yeah. And you didn't get, and, and to hear him speak, he had all that humor and that like warmth to him. And it was, there in was his a book. lot of humor, but when it got later in the movie, it was dark. It was too, and it was almost too dour. Like they wanted to make it yes, so serious. It was too, they, it was almost too dark. When he tells when those, it got later in the, in right. Angela's ashes. Yes. When he conveys that when he talks, when you hear him talk, when you read his book, the warmth comes through even in the dark stuff, but in the film, it felt like it was gunning for Oscar, you know, and it just, yeah, it, it just felt like it was grittiness of it. When it got to that, to that relative they yeah. were living with and the mother had to like do certain things for him. Yeah. It just didn't work. Well, thankfully it didn't work for me at the later in the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't work. This and is and just you a... mentioned one to me that I wrote down that I hadn't seen Tokyo Godfathers, that that's yes, a Christmas movie. Christmas well, special. I, I saw that on the big screen with Chris. Yeah, and it's not it's when not it, a Christmas I, special, I think but it came out not too long ago. It's a great film. Have did you get a chance to see it? I haven't yet. No. It is good. I recommend it to everybody who's listening. It's an amazing film. It's directed by Satoshi Khan, who sadly has passed, but and who did yes. a, a lot of great films. Paprika, Perfect Blue. Millennium actress, uh, and and this film, he was is, an amazing director. Yes. Every single thing he did was amazing. He was at the. I think he's one of those that he continued. He did Paranoia Agent. His work was also at the level of a Miyazaki, in my my opinion. I I, I don't disagree. Yeah. I think he was. He was. He would have been the new Miyazaki had he lived longer. Mm. Yes, and and his his work was always very interesting. But you know the thing about it that was a little different than Miyazaki is. He had, his work had a little bit more of an edge to it. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it kind of cool is that it, uh, it, it was a little more adult. Uh, and I don't mean that like that Miyazaki's is not, but that it dealt with more of a real, a, a grittier real world, I guess. Yes. Miyazaki um, sort of dealt with like young girls. In a lot of his movies, yeah, they had a fantasy fable aspect. They did. I what, what, what was that like? Um, uh, Whispers from the heart know, and things like that. Um, yes, there was a lot. You know, yeah. Spirited Away for me is a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. But yeah. I think it's like one of the greatest movies ever made. Spirited Away. Oh, agreed. Yeah, that's, I think. Yeah, that's that's a. And we did an episode on Miyazaki from last year. Yes, um, we did. And but what was that? Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh yeah. yeah. That is such a great movie as well. But um, but with Tokyo Godfathers, it's really based off of an old western called Three Godfathers. Yes, with, with John with Wayne. John Wayne, which is also a good <laughs> movie. But you hear Tokyo Godfathers, and you're thinking crime drama, but it's not. It's the, both versions of the stories of these 
in in the in Tokyo Godfather. This is three homeless people in Tokyo yes. in Japan who find this young baby and they're trying to return it to where it belongs. And you learn their stories and what brought each of them to where they are. And they're a kind of motley crew. But it's a pretty funny movie. And it's got a lot of heart in it too. And it, you know, but it's got danger mixed in with everything. It's just, it's just a great film. And it has that it is. Frank Capra-esque element. To it, it is. I, I love, I love Tokyo Godfathers. I think it's a great yeah. movie. So I think if you're looking for a, an animated Christmas movie, there's a lot of them out there. Arthur Christmas is a really good animated Christmas movie. Yes. Watch Arthur um, Christmas. I love that film. It's so, it's, it's very funny. And, and the, 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 the actors playing all the Santas in that when you have like three generations, Jim Broadbent is one. Hugh Laurie is another. Yeah, Jim Broadbent is and awesome. the oldest He's one great. is, um, Bill, uh, Bill Nye is the oldest one of them. And he, wow. uh, I remember they're like, he's like, is this, how are we going to get across the world all in one night? And in James McAvoy is Arthur Christmas. Yes. Is it really possible to, it's, it's impossible to do this. And I think that's when Bill Nye, Santa Claus is old and grizzled says, yes. And who I plays can... his brother in that? Who plays James McAvoy's brother? Oh, in that's, that? that's Hugh Laurie. So Hugh Laurie. Is oh, the, Hugh Laurie. Yes. Yeah, and then awesome. Broadbent is the, is the current Santa. He's the, he's the father, but then his father is Bill Nye and he's the one he's like it's impossible it can't be done and Nye says in my time they said it was impossible to teach a woman to read <laughs> I haven't seen that one I'm gonna have to add it's that good. It's, it's actually Christmas very good amazing. it's, it's me, a um, great movie that's yes. what Ardman animation did they now they do it in a in a CGI so it's not full-blown stop motion but it has that look and texture to it it's a really good movie uh, the it last is. Christmas special I want to mention I saw just last year and I want to throw it out there because um uh, it's done by, you know, the director is Steven Chiato or uh, Chiato, who the Chiato brothers who did Killer Clowns from Outer Space. What? And who oh, made wow. the Critters. And it's Alien Xmas. It's actually on Netflix. And it's. Oh, uh, I haven't seen that. It is done again. Its style looks very similar to like stop motion. It's very cute. We watched it last year. And it's one that I, you know, after I saw it, I thought, and actually I think it is stop motion. It's it's just, uh, it's it's kind of augmented stop motion. And. I, I liked it a lot. It's fun. It's cute. It has, it's only 40 minutes long. It's got that, that reminiscent feel of kind of the Rankin Bass or the specials of yesteryear. Nice. And it's, but it's got a lot of fun, cute things in it. The aliens are going to take over Christmas. You know, it's not, it's not far off from the nightmare before Christmas concept, you know, mm. where they, um, uh, this little alien's going to say, you know, the aliens are invading earth, but this one little alien recognizes like oh christmas is something special and santa's involved and it's cute it's just a nice fun little uh uh animated special but i hadn't seen a throwback done like that they kind of felt like they stripped everything away and they weren't just you know trying to rehash an old character that we knew about or do another rudolph it's its own thing uh it 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 gives homage to those, but, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention because in the eighties, so my uh, wife's favorite was uh, they did the claymation Christmas and I don't, the Will Vinton's claymation Christmas. I don't know if you guys remember that one at all. They had the California no. raisins were involved and there were all the these California raisins. Are you kidding me? What's that? The California Raisins? Really? Yes, they sing. They do Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm going to have to send Holy you guys a link for this. Holy Christ. The thing I remember about it, and and, and and Siskel and Ebert, it finally got in front of them, and they saw it, and they commented upon it, is that this is like 1986, so uh, the, the two hosts of the show, there's a big fat like triceratops. It's big and blue, and it's in a <laughs> so bloated that it's Santa's suit is ripping, and it's got glasses on, and that's Ebert. <laughs> 
Wow. There's a there's a red Allosaurus that keeps running down the the Triceratops and making fun of it. And the Triceratops keeps interrupting him and eating snacks while he's talking. (laughs) They're they're like Cisco Liebert as dinosaurs (laughs) and they host this whole thing. And yeah, there's there's a Carol of the Bells and Quasimodo is is conducting and the bells all have uh, anthropomorphic and they have human faces and the one the one bell keeps messing around. How the hell did I miss has, that? <laughs> it's it's kind of amazing, truthfully. Uh, there's some great there's some great stop motion animation in it, uh, and it was one that it's again it's one of the things you grew up with. We taped it and we must have watched it a hundred times. So it's that show that doesn't matter if nobody else watched it. You watched it and it became your thing. You know. Yes. It sounds like you made this is another one that you've made up because it, does, it, does, it sounds crazy. Yeah, it like, let me tell you something. One of the ones I watched. Was the Star Wars Christmas special? Oh, <laughs> not animation, yes. but oh my goodness! No, oh. not animation. Back in seventy seven, seventy eight, yes, yes. I remember watching that when it played, I when it too. premiered. You know, we had gone to, uh, you know, my my local church. We had gone to the Christmas uh, bazaar, and I said to my mother, "We got to get home so I can watch the Star Wars Christmas special." And we got back, and I remember watching it, and maybe 10, 15 minutes in, I said, yeah, this is kind of crap. <laughs> and just sort of playing with the toys that I got from the Christmas special, from, from the Christmas Bazaar that evening. Yeah, I remember watching it, and didn't George Lucas buy that and like throw it in his vault and say, no one will ever see this <laughs> Abortion yeah, again? The power of YouTube. I think you can find it. Uh, I'm sure you can. I, I've seen. Oh, I'm sure it. you can as well. But it is pure shit. It has Chewbacca's children wearing like baseball caps. His wife wearing an apron. I remember oh, that. At one point, pieces. yeah, his brother is his uncle or his brother's like looking at Wookie porn or something. Like it's. <laughs> It's real weird. I mean, and like, it's like bizarre as shit. Running the cantina. It's bizarre as shit. It had Luke Skywalker, who you know he had had been in an accident and he was like uh, injured at the time. It had hands. It had uh, Harrison Ford in it. Had it had. um, Oh God! It had all the stars of Star Wars in it. This should have been a warning sign, you know. It was all these people that later the like went so excited about Phantom Menace. We, you know, the the, the Ewoks, the Christmas special, the writing was on the wall. <laughs> you just weren't. It really attention. was. Yeah. It also had Harvey Corman and who was it who played Maud from the from the seventies? Oh, TV oh series. yes, <laughs> that was the lady from um the Golden Girls. Yeah, right? B. Arthur. Yes, she was from the Golden Girls. Yes, yeah, and then there's Maud, and then. There's Small. Right, B. Arthur's work. That's why I said B. Arthur's work. B. Arthur, can- yes, she was in that special along with Harvey Corman. <laughs> yeah, and it was absolute shit. <laughs> well, gonna have to have a uh, and a, a parental advisory warning on our Christmas animated specials episode. <laughs> a Christmas advisory and a, a pen and paper because there's a lot of movies that you're gonna want to write down or not but trust me they all not. they all happen no don't write down the the star wars christmas special no. it's shit <laughs> no don't 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 do that um but yeah so hey i'm gonna get us out of here under two hours i know i'm gonna do it so <laughs> that's all i have guys i don't know if you guys had any others if you're listening no. to this and we missed one of yours please let us know which one it is um i'd love to, i'd love to hear 
Uh, if there's any Christmas specials, uh, animated or otherwise, really, or or even an animated Christmas movie that you really like, I know there's a lot out there. We mentioned Del Toro earlier. He worked on one called The Rise of the Guardians that came out. Uh, no, oh wow, the Rise yes, of the Guardians. a good movie, a strong movie. Yeah, yes, fun. wasn't a wasn't solely a Christmas film, but it was released around Christmas and involved all of the holiday sort of icons of the all East of Guardians. them. Yes, um, and that's what made it so special. And they were fighting. Um, darkness and 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 jack frost was a major character i think was first by voiced by chris pine and i think one of the best things about that is santa in that one is this big russian brawler voiced by alec baldwin (laughs) (laughs) and uh hugh jackman is the easter bunny it's a it's a fun cool it's a good movie it really is strong and uh and my my kids love and if you could get past again me and the dead eyes but if you could get past these sort of uncanny valley animation of of the polar express that's a pretty good christmas movie too i think no the polar express is not bad yeah. it really isn't it has what is it tom hanks tom hanks in several different roles and it's just the the feel of it is very christmasy i find like his child's view of christmas and the it really the is the animation is a little creepy yeah but the story itself is strong. Yes, agreed. And I think it's a good movie. And I'm sure, like I say, we didn't plan to discuss solely or specifically. Oh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. There's a special that I that I do like as well. It's not. Oh, wow. It's another version of of Scrooge, but it's not. It's not a bad one. And you know what? I have. No, I'm. I'm going to watch this year. The Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah, you have to see that, that one, Dave. That's a classic. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Because what I love about it is that when Michael Caine, he plays Scrooge in that, and he told, like, Jim Henson or whoever it was who was making the movie says, he said, I am playing this straight. I will play this absolutely straight. I will play Scrooge like the bastard he is. And the Muppets, you know, Jim Henson said, please do. Yes. And we will build around that. And have you never seen it before, Dave? No, I have not seen oh, this you before. Haven't? So, no, and it's never. Exactly, I have it's never exactly seen that. the Muppets Christmas Carol before. It's a great movie, and it's actually it's another. It's a musical, and I'm I the musical is the music is good, and and part of that's down to that. Um, oh, the guy from Phantom of the, um, uh, what is it? The um, the Brian the the. Um, Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, Paul, the guy who plays the oh, villain, Paul Williams. Yes, Paul Williams. He writes the songs for, nice. for this, and oh, uh, this fun. is a great version. And you're absolutely right that that um, Michael Caine plays plays Scrooge as if he's in a absolutely straightforward adaptation of the of Christmas story. And to be fair, and that's what he said he was going to do. Yeah. He said he was going to he play does. Scrooge. As if he was play, he, as if he was a Shakespeare actor. And here's the thing about a Christmas uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. I think everyone who's watched it now knows, and it's true of the Muppets. Is the Muppets, the Muppets are very different than maybe a lot of other sort of like, uh, you know, kid oriented characters that might come in and like take take a story like this and adapt it to their own. The Muppets themselves, the story is still played pretty much straight. The only difference is. And because Kermit is still basically Bob Cratchit, he's just also a little bit Kermit, you know. Uh, oh, wow. They don't really make a, they don't lampoon it at all. They basically uh-huh. just tell this story. 
See, that's what I love about it. That's what I love about the Muppets from this time period. I saw the Muppet movie on the big screen in 1979. That's still the best one. I'd say this is the second best one. And I really love the one from 2011, honestly, when they kind of came back. Oh, yeah, me too. I think that's a great movie. I do. I love that they sort of rebooted the Muppets. Now, they turned around and did Muppets Most Wanted, which was kind of bad again, and it all fell apart. But, you know, (laughs) you can't have everything. You had three three great movies and a few okay ones. It's all right. Um, there, there, well, what was it? The Muppets Take Manhattan. Muppets Take Manhattan was oh, good. The great, yeah, that was also like really good. One. Uh, the Muppet, yeah. the Great Muppet Caper was okay. You know. The Great Muppet Caper, yes, I remember. I remember that one when that came out as well. Yes. Charles Grodin was in that. Then they they had like Muppet Treasure Island, Muppets from Space. Those were were less good. <laughs> yeah, the later ones kind of sucked ass. Tim, but Tim, there's another one. Tim Curry playing Long John Silver as if he's you know in just another adaptation of. <laughs> of the of the treasure island but anyway i don't have anything else i just want to uh before we close out wish everyone a, a very happy holiday we will be back in the new year yes with an episode where we're going to cover i just want to make sure guys we have all the, the movies here i think we were planning to cover uh man i don't know how many we can get through <laughs> but uh watership down the plague dogs <laughs> When the wind blows, oh yeah, in the last that's before. the episode where you can open your wrists. <sighs> that and and I just saw that when a wind when the wind blows has a Severin Kids release. Dave, I own it. <gasps> I got. I need to get it, so I need to pick. Oh, one. I have that Severin Kids <laughs> release. That was that the first Severin Kids. That's the first one. There's only been three that I know of. Um, maybe there's more, but there was. And I think it was started as a joke. They're like, oh, let's do when the wind blows. When the wind right. blows, <laughs> peanut butter solution. <laughs> And then there's oh, and Carnival Magic. So I think there's been four, and then there uh, well, was and a, and the one grandpa. with um Al Lewis. Yeah, what was that? My grandpa is a vampire. My yeah. grandpire, yes, that was another one. Yeah, I own the original. I I own that uh, release. So yes, I'm looking <laughs> forward to the, seeing the dark. So that one, the last unicorn, which Rankin and Bass involved in that one too. They uh, were. Uh, yes. Well, you can kind of tell. You look at the animation and all the voice cast. Are like because Tam- Tammy Grimes, who was uh, the voice of the little mouse in uh, the, um, the night before Twas the Night Before Christmas, is Twas voice- the Night Before Christmas is an amazing yeah. uh, special. But but she was voiced the voice from that. She's in uh, the Last Unicorn. Last Unicorn's got a great voice cast. It's like it does. Um, who nice. is in it? It's got uh, Mia Farrow, Mia Farrow, and wow. Jeff Bridges, Jeff Christopher Bridges, Lee, yeah. uh, Alan. Um, why is his name not coming to me? Um, not Arkin. Yes, Alan Arkin. Arkin. Yeah. Wow. Alan Arkin. I mean, it's a it's a big cast of of, of people. That's Angela awesome. Lansbury is in it, and uh, wow, and, and brother Holy Theodore, <laughs> who who was Gollum in there. Is in is that special. not like is it a half hour special? No, it's no. a movie. It's a it's it came to the theater. It's got an entire soundtrack by America. Yeah, band America. Holy <laughs> shit. I think nice. you'll like it, Dave. It's an interesting movie. It's um, I w- yeah, you know, I'll check it it's out. A, yes, a, um, it's a pinnacle of uh, of eighties fantasy. And in fact, that's a good segue into letting everybody talk about where you can find uh, other things that you do. Because I know Karen's got some stuff coming up, and you do too that that involves that. But uh, here at Illustrated Fan, that'll be our next episode in the new year. We're going to start having more regular episodes. My goal is to keep them in the two hour or less range. So this one, you know, we had a lot to talk about, but uh, yeah, Karen, but I think it came close to it. My yes, friend. We, 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 I think we, we nailed it. Once I, once I trim out uh, <laughs> a couple <laughs> of the really off the wall sides will be good. Um, 
Uh, Karen, tell everyone else uh, anything that you want to let us know about where we can find you. I will put the links to the episodes you've done for Phantom Galaxy in the show notes here. And then anything else that you mentioned, I'll, I'll also have links to that. So go ahead and let everybody else know where they can find you. Yes. Yeah. You can definitely find me here. Um, and I guess when we do the episode on uh, sad movies, which Grave of the Fireflies might be another one to add to that list of, oh my of God. horrible what sad what movies. What really awesome. damn movie that <laughs> We're going to have to limit. We're gonna have to, we'll have to decide. We have to pick. Right? I don't think we could do both. It's Watership like Grave of the Fireflies, Plague Dogs, Watership Down. <laughs> yes. It might have to be in two pieces. <laughs> right. Part one and part two. And then, you know, throw in maybe some that aren't quite so soul crushing um, in there with it. <laughs> and just slightly sad. Um, well, yeah, yeah, the last unicorn's one of those. It's not, yes. it's not as full bore as the others. Yes. Not quite. Yes. Yes. And then um, I was actually, Dave and I did an episode that he's going to have uh, coming up on DVD infatuation. Thank you yes. for having me on there. That was a lot of fun. That was awesome. You did a great job. Thank you that. Thank you for having me. I love doing that. And um, yep. and then hopefully some more X Files next year. Yes. Well, we have coming up. We've got uh, we've got the X Files season five. That's uh, that we still in the can to release, and we'll be doing season six. So yeah, yep. we're we're getting there. We're we're halfway through. Almost <laughs> halfway through. We're we're nearly there coming up there too but yeah no just thank you for having me on and i hope everybody has a happy holidays merry christmas happy hanukkah merry festivus whatever you celebrate yeah nice and dave how about you well my plugs are the same they always are uh my blog uh check it out i'm still posting new reviews over there uh, the uh, podcast, uh, DVD Infatuation, it's uh, hosted on the Considering the Cinema podcast, hosted by Jay. And Jay does all of the editing for that uh, podcast. Thank you so much, my friend. Um, other podcast, Land of the Creeps. Definitely check us out. We did our 300th episode recently. Our 301st is going to be our top 10 of 2022. So check that out. And um, yeah, the other podcasts are on, uh, well, Phantom Galaxy. We did Phantom Video with uh, Trey Whetstone and, and yourself, Nathan, where we looked at a lot of the videos the physical releases coming out in October, November, and December. Well, October and November. But we'll we'll have the we'll have December out shortly with our with our yeah end of the December year will be out shortly. Yes, yeah. uh, and also uh, well, this one Illustrated Fan, which has been a blast. I'm glad to have a back. I'm glad we're back. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we're back as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um. Uh, yeah, that's probably all I got. Yeah, and so can you? And if you if you can, I'll, I'll cut this. But can you tease what the the uh, DVD infatuation that that you and Karen did is about, or is that a surprise? Oh yeah, what the, the DVD infatuation that Karen and I did was eighties fantasy. It was all time fantasy. All time fantasy, yes, and it was so much fun. 
I can't wait for people to hear I'm it. I'm very excited about that episode. Because- oh, there was there, it was a great episode. It really was. And thank you, Karen, so much for joining me on that. You think it was 80s fantasy? Because that was like all my movies. <laughs> yeah, and it was probably most well, of mine and as I, well. Yeah, I, I remember talking to Dave a little bit while this was being going about. But Karen, you would always, you're like emailing and you're like, uh, well, or texting. And it's like, oh, well, uh, how any other you thought of and these of mine and Dave mentioned this movie I've never <laughs> ever heard of <laughs> and I think you mentioned like I don't want to mention two is but he mentioned this random one and I I, I said a title to you and you were like uh <laughs> it's just like uh, I cannot confirm or deny that I well I can't say anything yeah. yep <laughs> yeah but no it was a lot of fun yes thank you so much Cam for joining but i look forward to that and yeah this has been the uh illustrated fan and everyone have a happy uh very merry christmas happy holidays have a wonderful new year we will see you in 2023 take care everyone good night good night if you've been enjoying the music here on phantom galaxy the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist aries beats He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop. A lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Mm-hmm.